we've got here is failure to communicate. Some men you just can't reach. So you can get what we had here last week, which is the way he wants it. Well, he gets it. I don't like it. gentlemen welcome to this very special episode of action for everyone for this here new year's day 2023 as we started last year this is going to be our new tradition every new year's day we are going to do the annual vice victus war retrospective uh, as you guys know vice used to do it uh in written form and last year we switched it to podcasting form and i had a blast doing it so i reached out to him and said hey do you want to do it as a podcast again and he was more than happy to do it uh and so yeah vice how you doing today buddy i'm doing good i um this is always a strange thing because well as you mentioned before when i did the written when i first started doing these back in 2016 i think it was the year i got out the army it was a and i mentioned this before in the previous episode it was a very uh almost like not quite an essay as it was like an exorcism like to kind of like get all that stuff out of out of me and in like 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 I mentioned many times, using the cinema, using the films, to kind of uh, as the medium to to do that. <clears throat> so now though, um, I mean, you know, like five plus six years now removed from the service, but in a strange way, it's it, it's never going to leave leave me. But also, I have noticed as time goes on, the films themselves are saying really fascinating things about. What we went through and also what we're going through now the current era oh uh, yeah so i uh, yeah it's 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 so i want to say it's it feels good to be doing this again but also like uh it's always a uh, it, i don't know it's like going to the doctor or chiropractor or going to a, a wake almost it's like you you, you kind of got to do it and it feels bad sometimes but like it helps in the end 
So yeah, it's a very strange feeling. But I'm as always, I'm glad. Well, especially now, I'm glad to have Mike here. That you you here with me to um to help me do this and have fun. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we'll have we'll have fun. We'll we'll go on this journey. For people listening, I do want to apologize. I am still in the depths of COVID, and so if my voice doesn't sound good or I don't sound as enthusiastic as I usually do, I apologize. But it was also important to me that as long as I was feeling like crap, I still wanted to do something worthwhile while I was feeling like crap, and so uh, we decided to go ahead and forge ahead with recording this. So um, what Vice has basically done is uh, if you followed him on Twitter, he's linked to his letterbox list of the movies that we're going to talk about. But what he's done is sort of broken them up into categories. And so we're going to kind of go through movies that are thematically related. And um, we're going to start off with one that uh, the second movie I actually just watched today. And um, it just destroyed me uh so we'll we'll get to that but uh yes the first sort of grouping we have is ambulance and breaking vice what about these resonated made you want to group them together well yeah so uh the main thing in the kind of the obvious through line is that these are both stories about um the the failing of healthcare for veterans um but although one of these is based on a true story um and one is you know a, a flight of fancy by the great michael bay but yet they both have these very hard truths about them, about our current our current state. Like not just about the, the veterans in specific, but our society as a whole, where we are in what what I can only call the uh, post global war and terror era. Uh, it's specifically because you know as and we'll, we'll talk about more later on. Um, this past year uh, was our last year in Afghanistan. The U.S. is last year in Afghanistan, and and thus the end of quote unquote major conflict in the so called global war and terror dating back to the earliest days after 9-11. Um, but yeah, so like it's about these, the stories center on these Marines specifically, um, but the the story around them that's happening is so much of the, uh, I would say illness, I guess, of society, of what this 20 years of war have done to us. Um, like on one hand, it's like, you know, people say there's one thing where it's like, even after a few years of the war, Iraq and everything, people just stopped caring here at home. But the more serious and insidious issue that happened was the war was not done with us. Um, in, 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 in the broader strokes, all there's a direct, or well, and one good example of this is that um, there's a direct line of funding, literal funding from all the equipment and, and training and, and attitudes poured into Iraq and Afghanistan and elsewhere around the world to fight terror that's come directly to home to roost with all of our militarized police, all the equipment, all the, the MRAPs and Humvees and, and the, the aggressive state more so than ever, well, to a much more lethal degree perhaps than ever before of police versus the citizens they're sworn to protect or so we've been told. And so we see this happen in both these films. Now, and that, so with ambulance first, like and and oh, and just as we as we go on, just know that um, we've talked about several of these films many times before in previous episodes, so we don't have to go we don't have to go into too too long detail, but uh, you know just uh, we'll refresh your memories and um get into some stuff that we hopefully we haven't talked about yet and how they relate to each other. So again, uh, we talked about ambulance before. You know, it's um Michael Bay's latest uh, smash bang thrill ride. Um, about the a Marine veteran and his uh crook, crook friend, his his close, you know, um, erstwhile brother, um, Jake Gyllenhaal and yeah, yeah, Abdul Mateen. Um, 
they, he convinces them to go on, on this big heist. Not his first wild brother, Vice. His real brother. <laughs> indeed, indeed. That's, that's my <laughs> Right, right. Um, so he convinces them to go on this uh, very dangerous bank heist. And of course, along the way, uh, things things go tits up, as they always do in heist movies, in heist in general, really. And uh, they're on a run in the ambulance, trying to escape the law and get, get away with the money. So at least for Yaya, he, or his character, he can uh, get his money home to his family because he needs it for his wife's operation. And just, uh, again, because the his his the healthcare system, and specifically the VA system, has failed utterly failed him to provide proper compensation and proper um, uh, alleviation uh, for him and his family's uh, uh, illnesses. So Michael Bay does this in a very, you know, he does this pretty serious, somber story in the wildest, most crazy way possible, you know, that, that's, that's his style. But, the, but in his case, though, he, this is not new territory for him. This has been on his, Michael Bay's mind for a long time, you know, way back to stuff like The Rock, or, or in, you know, about the uh, aggrieved Marines who become terrorists just because they don't have proper compensation for the, their ill deeds overseas. And even to uh, to some extent, as I've written about before, the Transformers series of all things were like, you know, you, you could see it as a crazy allegory for uh, the way the evolution, all, all the films, how we evolve, how we treat our veterans, you know, we're lauded as heroes and you know, the, 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 the robots are, you know, alien soldiers who take a new home to defend us. And along the way, they, they turn to villains. They hunt it down by, like dogs by the, the, by the government. And in a similar kind of weird emotional sense, that's the journey of the veterans. We, we, we sign up, you know, of our own free will and volition. You know, this is not a draft army. This is a tired volunteer army. You know, I, I even remember, you know, if people have heard this, but I, I saw it, you know, like a... I was here in New York at 9-11, and you know, those, those days following people, there's a big central famous uh, recruiting station in the center of Times Square. And yeah, there were guys lined, lined around the block to uh, sign up to like, you know, defend the homeland as it were. But of course, uh, <laughs> hindsight in 2020 is all that. So we saw how, we saw how that ended up. But yeah, so in, in Michael Bay has this stuff on his mind at all times, even his weirdest movies, but, and also just in general, like a, the state of America as he captures it in each of his films, Pain and Gain is another famous example of that though it takes place at the movie captures a, a time frame about 10 years prior to its filming. It's a very distinct uh snapshot of the greed and capitalism and, and the of avarice of, of 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 typical America. You know, it's it's the uh the banality of evil, but the banality of uh the suburban life, the American dream, I guess. <laughs> So that's that's all coming to play here now. It's like ambulance, where it's we 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 want to, we want to, trying to this man, this marine, is trying to just you know live a good life after serving, but the powers that be spend all costs to stop him because yes, he's breaking the law, but then you know as they say, as we've seen with other kinds of institutional theft and robberies, you know the housing crisis, for example, like you know who are the real criminals here, you know. And one of the things that's highlighting this is that, um, as you see throughout the movie, you know Michael Bay had, he's been known for his military tactical fetish, but it's very succinct here in that it's what you're what's, what's happening on screen is that this law enforcement, one of the most famous slash notorious law enforcement agencies in the world, the LAPD, spends the resources of a small army, a, a small nation, to catch these two men, and the sick irony of that is that they could have. 
all the billions, millions, billions even uh, of and hardware and training and resources to just catch these two dudes and gun them down in cold blood. That could have paid for him and thousands of other health veterans' health care. Like, the, the, you know, the, we would rather turn ourselves into a police state than just give people health care. It's, it's obscene. And I think that Michael Bay is kind of the right person who can highlight that obscenity. Although, at, on, the same so, on the same side, it's like, maybe that obscenity is not, isn't quite translated well to the viewers. And, you know, partly because his reputation as he was being his, that kind of a egomaniacal explosion master. Um, so that kind of, that really sharp point is maybe missed in all the gunfire and explosions. But at the same time, yet again, he's kind of the, one of the only people actually doing the kind of stuff, you know, that that's putting this very serious, very poignant points in mainstream American populist cinema. Nobody else is really doing that right now. Yeah. And actually, you know, <clears throat> you had, you had tweeted basically that, that statement that, that, uh, the government would rather, you know, spend the resources uh, for a small army to to kill a black man than give him health care. And uh, I don't know if you're ready to transition yet, because I, I, I feel like I've said enough, you know, on the uh, on the regular shows about Ambulance. Everybody knows it's my favorite movie of the year. I just I posted my list yesterday, you know, I. But I could not get that statement out of my head watching uh, Breaking Uh because breaking hits that point even more harshly and harder because at least in ambulance, yeah, Yahya Abdul Mateen's character is a good guy in a tough position, but at least Jake Gyllenhaal is a full blown psychopath, right? Like he's he's a lunatic. That's part of what makes the movie so fun. But uh breaking based on a true story, John Boyega's character uh is just an even all during this horrible quote unquote horrible thing that he's doing is just this nice guy who's who's really just he's he's pushed i mean hence the name of the movie he's pushed to his breaking point and unlike ambulance where they're trying to get away with millions of dollars he just wants his damn disability check and uh and uh he wants the exact amount owed to him no no more no less it's a no very more, no less the exact and it was it's like 800 and something dollars i mean it's like it's it's like nothing um, and, and they surround this bank with SWAT teams and, you know, it's based on true story, folks, we're going to spoil these things. And they essentially, you know, snipe him, they execute him. And, and, and again, he did take hostages in a bank. I mean, we, in a civilized society, you don't get to get, go around doing that. But, uh, the idea here of, we would rather do that than just give this guy his damn $800, uh, I, I, I'm actually a little bit of a mess today because this was the one that Vice asked me to watch out of all the ones on his list that I hadn't watched yet. So I got up this morning and I watched it. And again, I'm still dealing with COVID. And uh, I I was profoundly broken by this movie. Um, so Vice, I'll, I, I don't I want to let you talk. You're the star of the show. But yeah, this is the story of the death of Brian Brown Easley, Lance Corporal in the United States Marine Corps. This is a real event uh, that happened uh, several years ago where uh I believe it was in a, a 2017 thereabouts. He uh, held up a bank in Georgia, Atlanta, Georgia, to get his VA money. Um, and this, the film shows in the preceding events that um, he had gone to the VA through the through the whole rigmarole of of signing your forms and waiting in line and waiting for months. You know, I, and I, I know this story very well personally. You know, just waiting enormous amounts of time to just get the basic needs, your services, and so. But he's you know he's discarded like trash. 
And so, like, as you said, he's pushed, he's pushed too far, and he's in his mind forced to do this. And also, they they mentioned they kind of they show it in the movie, but they don't say it explicitly. But he did he also he did also suffer from um, mental illness. So you know, which kind of is probably the obvious thing that would make somebody do this. Um, you know, well to a degree. And even uh, you know the fact that he, in his threat or in his um, hostage situation, he he they said he had a bomb, but of course he didn't. He was he had devices that he thought in his ill states could find tracking devices against the people trying to harm him, the system as it were. You know he was pretty you know pr pretty severely um, afflicted by these um, uh, mental delusions, unfortunately, and then that only you know couldn't. That only exacerbated the situation of him of this whole thing. Um, I'll, I'll just say I, I, you, I would say the good point for this, if you want to see the full details, is a great article um, from Task and Purpose the website, taskandpurpose.com, called "The Death of Lance Corporal Riley," and it has kind of the full details to interviews with his parents and even the police, the police force uh, about the situation. And you know, even to this day, they they don't even to this day, no one's explicitly takes credit for or responsibility for his murder like the trigger is pulled and even now only the man who pulled the trigger knows who really did it um so yeah it's again and these these kind of neat we see these two movies they show this like this is the world we are now the war is over but it's not at all it's still it's now right here at our doorstep we saw this in the ferguson protests and all the all the preceding protests um, it, it gets injustice, you know, the 2020 um, um, or, or protest, like, and you saw the you saw the hardline response to that stuff, like it is here, it is not going away. I've heard and I've heard some sayings like where you know, uh, the, I think there's a term for where colonial, colonialism then turns inwards. All the resources and trillions we put into arming ourselves to defeat these these terrorists, ghosts is now pointed towards us. The barrels in our face. And this is a reality that we have to contend with. And these two films kind of show this in these really striking and and uh, captivating ways. And one in one aspect, you know, uh, part of ambulances' um, claim to fame is it's a kind of almost revolutionary use of drone work. Uh, he, you know, he he hired like the world champion drone pilot to uh, and fixed his camera to it and got these amazing shots of all the car chases and all, all the action sequences. You know, it's kind of really like groundbreaking stuff that no person, no no other director. Or cinematographer has done with drones thus far, and again, and I mentioned this in Twitter earlier. Like, uh, this is this is the mirror of the global war on terror, the 9/11 era. The drone, the UAV, was kind of the uh, technological breakthrough that defined the era. Maybe like the tank did in World War One or World War Two, or the plane did, in, or the carrier did in World War Two in the Navy. Like, this is the, the helicopter in Vietnam. This is you know, this is the defining piece of war warfare war machine and so it's just a, a very strange and a very surreal and ironic and satirical even like the way that this the icon of this war and terror is used the drone to make these fantastic shots and and and, and images and sequences for this movie it's very and you know and honestly i don't i don't even know if they one even intends or even realizes it honestly but that's kind of part of his charm is that he works with this like he works on such a primal lizard brain, almost like a caveman scientist. He's just like it just comes out of him, and he, he's never kind of he's never really hinted at any self awareness on the, on his part. 
but it's all there in the text, all there on screen. All the you know the the, the death of the other. He he, <laughs> the death of the author is like Michael Bay puts this, the vest on himself and blows him up. He like, he he doesn't fucking care about his authorship. He's just showing you the stuff and whatever bleeds out of him bleeds out of him. And we we're here to feel it. I but actually I just, I, uh, sorry. Uh, I actually just watched um, <clears throat> your acquaintance and 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 somebody that I would love hopefully if he's listening to get on the show at some point. Patrick Willems' video on Zack Snyder, and he was kind of saying the same thing, right? That Snyder's got all this imagery and all this stuff in his movies, and 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 I agree with with Patrick on this that I don't think Zack Snyder is smart enough to actually know what his imagery implies. I think he just likes really cool shit. And, and, and I think Bay is uh, to a certain extent, kind of the same way. Now we've, I think Bay is more dialed in, you know, you and I have talked a lot about Bay, for instance, uh, he cares about soldiers. He, he, he thinks he, he loves his soldiers and he hates the militaries that send them out to die. Uh, but above and beyond that, I don't know. Like, I don't think he's smart enough to think uh, drones started as a weapon of war. So I'm going to use drones in this movie, but nonetheless, I think you're right in that you nailed it perfectly. He works on both he and Snyder work on such primal, aggressive base levels of filmmaking and and emotion that it's hard not to tap into that stuff. I mean, they are a little bit almost blank canvases. You can find as much fascism in their movies as you want. You can find as much humanity in their movies as you want. Uh, And, and that again, I think is what makes, you know, for people who don't like ambulance of which there's, there's been, you know, been quite a few and the movie wasn't a big success. I think, I don't know, you and I might be reading too much into it, but I think maybe those people aren't reading enough into it. I think it is a far smarter movie, especially in the pantheon of Michael Bay movies than, uh, than people give it credit for. Yeah, definitely. And especially, especially when you compare it to breaking, like these, these parallels aren't out of nowhere. Like, you know, breaking is definitely a more dis- decisive and purposeful and, you know, serious film, but they're saying the same fucking things. They really are. And, you know, and just to, to drive the point home, you know, I'm about the, the drones as a device in the movie, there's not much uh, more way of flashiness or, or, uh, groundbreaking cinematography and breaking is very, very staid and very calm, you know, in capturing the very tense situation. But just um, the the fi- one of the fi- one of the final shots, not the final, but like near the end, and you know, as we of course we, uh, Brian easily is killed, and this is this this is really disturbing shot. I'm never going to forget. It's um, they send the the bomb robot, the EOD robot, to search his body for the bomb he did not have. He didn't have any explosives at all, and then but they never show. They don't show the gunshot, or they don't show Brian uh, being killed on screen. You see his body, and they show the robot rolling over, lumbering over, searching his corpse with his with its fucking Terminator robot arm. They find nothing, and as it leaves, it's it's tracking a pool. It's the blood on its on its tracks because it drove through the pool of blood. That's his body now. Like that's such a Fucking ah, that's 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 a it, fucking, dis- it destroyed me, dude. That shot, that scene just fucking wrecked me. It is such a powerful, powerful scene. Um, yeah. and then you know, that the day that the game has highlighted, you know, this in this modern age, this is what warfare is. We these ro- machines that we're using, this the, this literal and emotional, mental, spiritual detachment from death. You should, you should have a drone, you know, 100,000 feet in the air, blowing up a family. You send this robot 
to kill the to church this guy because you don't want to see a face the face that you killed, you know. And a robot that cost 10, 20, 30 times more than the amount of money that the guy whose blood it's rolling through was asking for. Exactly. Uh, you know, I mean that just that that just really, really hit me today. You know, and again, I, I as people who listen know, I am not a soldier, uh, but I am, however, a an arm of the state, an arm of the powers that make this stuff happen too. And um, you know, it it never it's it's always something we wrestle with. Vice and I talk about this all the time. I don't want to dwell on it too much, but let's just say, uh, folks, if you haven't seen for me, I'm not gonna have a ton more to contribute for the rest of this conversation. But if you haven't seen breaking, you need to see it. And if John Boyega is not at or near the top of your best performances of the year list, I I I I know the reason for a lot of people, but I do think there are a lot of people who he's not at the top just because they haven't seen the movie. It didn't make very very well. Um, uh, But it is, it is one of the most stunning performances I saw in 2022. Yeah. So definitely uh, these two, like, you know, these kind of the the shining defining era of this list, the moments of this list, you know, uh, they were, again, they're two of the, honestly, two of the best world films of the year, two of the best movies of the year, you know, definitely go check them all you can. So, yeah. So, yeah. um, And before we continue, like as, as I said, um, I can talk about these. The podcast is the main essay, but between this, um, our Twitter feeds, and even my letterbox films, I have my full reviews. You can find some more details about the movies that we talked about today. So you know, even if, if there's something we forget to cover, you know, you can always search through those other supplements and find it. Because we're just through time, we're going to move on. Though. But yeah, definitely, yeah, please see those two films. Two of the best of the year. So um, so the next the next group of movies here actually do a, do a, a similar thing with the the. The lack of healthcare for veterans and what the extremes are willing to go to, to get it, or or not get it, um. But these are a decidedly different approach. Um, this is a dog and contractor, which you know you, you have this kind of lighthearted road comedy, and this you know this like a Tom Clancy esque hardcore you know covert ops movie. Again, you wouldn't think there's much uh, much in common, but you know again this is the text of the films bear all these things out. You know, time and time again. So uh, first with uh, Contractor, because I know this is uh, Michael, one of Mike's favorite movies of the year. Um, Chris Pine was a, a Special Forces veteran who has to discharge. He gets in trouble because uh, during his time, he does some like, well, illegal slash uh, 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 not authorized stuff uh, to get a job done for his health. But his health is suffering in part because of it. Um, so he gets uh, he gets recruited by uh, his, his friend and uh, under the direction of uh, this kind of Black Ops Taskmaster, uh, Keeper Sutherland, uh, doing his like his, his uh, solid snake voice. Because <laughs> Jack Bauer returns if Jack Bauer you know went, went bad uh, to uh, you know get some intel. But of course, you know as these Black Ops stories go, he's just a, he's just a pawn in a, in a dangerous chess game of, of intrigue and, and lies and deception. So he has to fight fight you know fight the Shadow Ops to uh, clear his name. And you know again, um, taking the similar thematic thing, you know. Uh, how far will a veteran go to get to get his proper compensation, health care, or the security for his family, and how that in turn pushes them to even more evil deeds? Like some of these movies, well, these at least we want to talk about. They don't ever explicitly say what the actual service entails. I can tell you from my experience, you know, like I, again, I never killed anybody directly with my own hands, but just the very just being in this divorce taints you. Um, you know, with all the lives, innocent lives lost, and all the more gray, murky, dark areas you have to traverse to get the mission done. 
So I think movies never say what they do. And, and so there's never really a, uh, they're not so much about uh, redemption or um, should I make atonement? Um, so I think in that regard, some of these, that might still leave a bad taste in people's mouths because, you know, they might want, hey, we, now that we know that this these wars were not just in their entirety, shouldn't we address that? Well, sure, but that's not these movies. That's not what these movies are trying to do. That's not the story they're telling. They're telling the story of how overall the system that sends these people to die will kill them just the same if it makes it, if it's uh, for the bottom line. So that's you know that that's that's um how contractor contractor plays out. You know, and in a great you know great action movie fashion. You know, it's all it's not so much an action movie. There's only a few actual action sequences. You know, again more of a thriller kind of thing. But yeah, it's definitely one of the better ones we've had in a while. Like like you know if we had a Without Remorse last year with Michael Jordan, this is I think to me is the same kind of caliber. It was a really solid action suspense kind of movie. Yeah, we had a really nice Chris Pine one-two punch this year. Um, it, it, it's not on this list because it's not a war movie and it's definitely not really even an action movie. But this and Contractor and All the Old Knives both came out within a month and 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 they were both like really old school, like Jean Le Carre, you know, uh, 19, almost 1970s style espionage thrillers. Um, yeah, The Contractor, I, I thought was... As you know, Vice, I didn't love Without Remorse. I, I, I as time has gone on, I've, I, I like it more, uh, and certainly I was. But, but the contractor had more of the vibe that I wanted Without Remorse to have. Um, it, it was much more of this just really intense old school espionage thriller vibe um, that also wasn't, you know, doing the Marvel thing of being Rainbow Six Origins. Um, and, uh, but. Yeah, it, it it's it is funny when you when I first saw you put this and dog together, I was like, that's a oh no, that's not a weird combination at all. That's actually like a perfect combination because again, much like ambulance and breaking, they're saying the same fucking thing essentially. It's just the difference is in contractor, it's it's Pine uh, kind of rediscovering who he is and 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 sort of himself through having to save his own life, whereas in dog it's through this warm cuddly fuzzy dog trying to save channing tatum's life you know and uh and uh and or you know you can reverse that either way because channing tatum is a human dog but uh yeah yeah so it's funny you know this is kind of a hearted um road trip kind of movie but again it's similar a lot of similar things going on it's a, you know special force veteran um also with um health issues from his service and the setup here is that uh uh, his uh, he had a friend who had a, was a canine uh, handler, you know, canine the, the German Shepherd service is long. is a very uh, kind of legendary uh, element of this of army and his forces, uh, bomb dogs and so forth. Like there was a film Megan Levy that came out a few years ago that had a similar thing. You know, they they've been a very they're a very renowned part of the military service in history, um, even. Uh, but you know, but the of course this dog is you know is um, like Channing's character has PTSD. So he's violent, aggressive. He, he can't be handled, and they, the, the threat is they're going to put him down unless he can get get uh, you know get to a proper place. Um, and so the journey that happens in the movie is that um, as he's trying to um, help this dog without realizing it, he's helping himself to kind of get over it. Well, not get over, it, but um, to start healing from his trauma, from his, his his physical wounds and his kind of spiritual ones too. And again, same thing. They don't really say what he did exactly, but you know, just you can tell the service has beaten him down, and and well. He's kind of the he's a he's a war junkie. He's he didn't realize that he's addicted 
to the service and to combat, and they and that's it's going to eat him alive, you know, unless he kind of learns from that and starts to get over that because he can't do it anymore. So the film, as it goes on, has kind of a few bits, like a, I guess you could say vignettes, as it were, where he stops in certain places along the way. It's like a, it's like an East Coast West Coast kind of trip, or like it's a North South kind of trip. Um, and he's um he stops meets different people. And so the funny thing is that um, in these encounters, you could one could see these easily as like these kind of um, own the libs kind of things. You know, like for example, he like meets these like a hippie, like a hippie yoga chicks that he thinks he thinks he's gonna like get have sex with, but they 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 can sense his like bad vibes, quote unquote, and try to try to you know do meditation on him instead of like you know instead of an orgy. <laughs> but you know like so of course he's like flummoxed about that, but like. In that in in those in these kind of sequences, what's really ha- what's happening that I can see is that it's not just oh the kids the Gen Z guys are, are dumb and you know, not real men, they're reaching out to him like they they these characters very well have complete opposite ideologies and like you know very much against the war any war any any violence any colonialism like but they see that this person this man in front of them is in pain and they want to help him. And he's of course first resistant to that because again he has these preconceptions about you know all, all the all the libs are dumb you know they don't know they don't know what it's like to live, live, live like me, but like that's kind of that's kind of the point of why you need this help. Like sometimes you need that outside view to help you really see what's clear, you know. And I definitely had that in my, in my case, you know, coming back after um, when I came back out of the service, you know, coming back to the city, coming you know coming back into the back into the world. And, you know, in my case, I was very fortunate, um, both with school. When I, you know, I went to I was university with my GI Bill, but also I have a, my part-time job at the movie theater, the draft house, and just meeting a whole different kind of people, artists and, and you know, th- artists and, and hippies and, and free thinkers and, and also, like, you know, young kids, you know, like, to, you know, compared, to, compared to me, with all these, like, crazy wild ideas and, and this kind of really progressive thought. And... And even some, you know, some in some cases, people who are more conservative than the guys that I, were, I was on the command of, you know, this is just a very it's a big spectrum of people that a whole different experience. But like, I needed that to reconnect. You know, I couldn't stay stuck in my old army ways. That it was gonna, it was gonna kill me. And so you kind of, I like that this dog, the movie, it kind of shows that. And and and, and to that point, it's a very specific, uh, uh, very great. Uh, I guess maybe the third third act, you call it. Um, some scenes with uh, the actor Ethan Supley. He's a very interesting character because uh, interesting person. Uh, you might remember him. He was like he was like the, the big fat guy and all those like the 90s uh, teen comedies, whatever. And you know, he had his own kind of personal journey in real life, you know, of like realizing that he was uh, you know not just aware but like he's being abused, um, not being taken care of by both you know the Hollywood and also him himself. So he went on this kind of really big fitness journey and he lost a lot of weight and became like a kind of a fitness motivator. And so. I, I, and I see those YouTube videos. It's pretty, it's pretty, pretty interesting stuff. And you can kind of see that that actually, his own lived journey reflected in this character he plays, where he's also another special forces veteran who's also a dog handler. But he's able to, he's succeeded in in coming back. By you know, there's a line where he says, you know, he's talking about the dogs, and he says, uh, "Once I saw he stopped struggling, that's when I realized maybe I could stop struggling." It's really kind of softly profound line, you know. It's just the big, this big, this big look, look of a man, but you know, he's just all this wisdom behind him. And that really kind of gets the the, the gears going in, in the, the last act, where Channing accepts that you know he has to let, let things go, and you know, come back to come back to humanity, basically. So yeah, you know, it's yeah, again like I said, it's a really lighthearted, simple, you know, fun romp. 
Um, but it's there's so much going on, and it's it's really like a really important, important, you know, kind of significant message is playing. You know, like the like what, what no one is owed redemption, but it's kind of if it's offered to us, if we take it, that's we to just be so grateful for that, especially even if or especially if you don't deserve it. You know, like a, that that's that's real grace right there. Like you know, no matter what, even if people who don't believe believe what you did what you did or have their issues with you that they'll never get over just them willing to help you still that's just so profound it's really it's really good it's really sorry and the dog, the dog is cute the mean dog he's like he's a he's a he's a teddy bear really <laughs> that's a great <laughs> yeah no this one this one is so the list that i i posted on twitter was just my favorite action movies it wasn't my favorite movies of the year if it was my favorite movies this would have been on it on it i i loved this thing as you know um and I, I can't I can't think of a more perfect actor. And I know he produced it and I know his co-writer. I, I can't remember if Tatum co-wrote it, but Reed Carolyn, who was also the writer of the Magic Mike movies and his production partner, he wrote and directed it. So, I mean, Tatum obviously felt very strongly about this story, but I, I cannot imagine a more perfect actor to uh, be in this movie. And it does have, as somebody who who suffers from them not from ptsd just from other mental health issues it also has some pretty stunningly terrific uh terrifically realistic depictions of panic attacks and night terrors and those are those are always things that i'm always on the lookout for movies when they when they don't ring true uh that always i tend to lose it a little bit you know the movie tends to lose me and and th this is just it's a, it's like you said vice it's such a light-hearted fun little movie about uh a human golden retriever and a uh and a, an actual golden retriever um but it's it's made with such care and kindness and compassion for all the characters in the movie and for everything they're going through and and you know and tatum's character is a ginormous you know douche canoe for a large part of the movie i mean it, yeah. it took me a minute that was that was actually something the first time i watched it that was actually kind of something that threatened to turn me off of the movie because he is such a fucking dick smack for so much of this movie uh but again because the movie's done with such care you know you realize they take the time to to let you understand why and so his redemption that like you said maybe he doesn't deserve but it still feels earned um it, it's not cheap it's not a hallmark movie it, it doesn't just come from out of nowhere um everything that happens in this movie feels earned the other thing i want to shout out is that Everybody's been arguing about who the best wrestler turned actor is. And I will just absolutely say that Kevin Nash has given the best performance of any wrestler turned actor this year in this movie. I don't want to say more about it because it's a spoiler. And, and, and the way that whole thing goes is one of the delights of the movie, but he is so goddamn terrific in this movie. Yeah. You know, I don't want to spoil it further, but you know, like kind of, kind of uh mirror, uh, you kind of echoes like Stephen Lang. And like, don't breathe a little bit. Like, he's like, holy shit. And then you see what happens. It's like, oh, this is a fucking, this is a, what a great little moment. What a great turn. Little scene. This is beautiful. <laughs> and, I, and I get, you know, for Nash, you know, he maybe doesn't have the range of somebody like Batista and he doesn't have the star power of somebody like The Rock or Cena. But what I love with Nash's acting, especially between the Magic Mike movies and this one, is that he, you know, for people who know Kevin Nash, he is he is a broken down old man. I mean, dude can barely walk. He's got nothing in his knees. And and every role he plays really steers into that. And 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 he really just he can convey a weariness 
uh, that that those other wrestlers can't convey. And and I love him every time he's on screen. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely a great crowd. Yeah, so definitely check those out. Um, so now, so these next films, uh, again, we we talked about them at length. So I don't want to dwell too much on them, but just you know, just uh, part of this this list is like uh, kind of expanding or kind of updating what a war film actually is. And so, you know, some of these are obvious in some regards, maybe not. So we have, you know, the, the, these are the big blockbusters of the year, like the biggest movies of the year so far. You know, Top Gun, RR, and Avatar, Way of Water. You know, and they have warfare or like uh, elements of uh, insurrection, insurgency, uh, elements of war throughout them. Um, and we, we again, we talked about them, but just, um, just, again, this is like, what's important, the key thing here is that to see each of these nations or each, each of these uh, studio, these directors, their their vision for, and how that correlates with our modern sense of what where we are as a nation, as a society, as as a globe, you know, globally, of what war is, what war means, what what war means to specific nations and to the world at large. You know, RR is like this heightened, um, heightened, very very direct anti-colonialism, anti-British sentiment. Um, but you know that, and in, 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 in some regards, you could say it's a hmm, careful. How I say this: it's an overt fantasy of what could have happened. Now, these characters that they're based on are real characters, but for one, the, the, the two characters in R they never actually met in real life. They were both, you know, um, insurgents against the British British rule, and were f- famous heroes in their own right. Well, like you know, it's basically it's like fan fiction, but that, that's part of the fun. But also, you know, like in this, in most of these most of these, these are kind of Indian style films from the various regions, you know, like. In they the real people didn't have superpowers to fight the British, you know. It's just this big embellishment to give you this kind of power fantasy of well, man, if I, if that would be if that would be back in the day, I would have jumped kicked that guy so hard, you know. But you know, of course, the real life, the real story is much more tragic and 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 and, and difficult. But you know, that's part of the power of movies, you know, to give you this inspiration, this hope. And you know, as we mentioned before, with that, the the, the dangers of nationalism and the dangers of of, of uh, taking these things too far or Taking these manifestations and twisting them to more nefarious ends, um, but you know that, that's 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 hey that's that's just part of being an audience member, being part of film. You got how how people ultimately digest it or accept it is at some point not up to the up, up to the creators or to the directors. It's own thing with the audience. And, you know, same thing for Avatar. You know, it's it's um. Same thing with Avatar. It's this kind of fight fantasy, and we we again we spoke of the controversy about you know how how Cameron mentioned you know like uh, what if these certain tribes fought harder? You know, it's again a very controversial, very offensive statement on his face. But you know, here is again the fantasy of the movies that you can yes, what if what if the uh, indigenous people won against the, the white man? You know, that's part of what's going on here. So yeah, yeah, this is this is kind of a, on a grander scale and a much more fantastical way you know on space whatever and then you know of course with uh, top gun once again you know we spoke about it it's updating this kind of what was known as a very very uh propaganda-ish to some people uh 80s film about how we're going to fight the russians and win but you know and then it it becomes a much more nuanced thing much more personal and even the fact that uh, the enemy is almost is nameless they don't actually say whoever who's who the characters the US, US Navy is fighting. Um, so, you know, they, and one can see that as a uh, weakness or a cop out, you could say. But again, I, I don't think to, 
I think the the bigger point of the movie is this character's Maverick's uh, journey, not so much the journey of the U.S. Navy or the U.S. imperialism as a whole. So I think it it, it earns that 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 uh, leeway. But yeah, so it's just uh, again interesting to see um, where these big budget, hugely populous mega blockbusters are showing this warfare, how it affects the current state, how we would affects how we things would like to be or have been. And where, where it might go from here. So yeah, it's very interesting to talk about those. And again, once again, I still think they're one, one of the best movies of the year. So once again, please go see these all. Yeah, I mean, I've got nothing to add. I've obviously talked about my, my. I haven't still haven't seen Avatar COVID. Uh, but, you know, obviously I've talked about my love of Top Gun and I've talked about my like, but not love of RRR and how I think they're different. But I think you hit pretty much everything on the head. Yeah. Uh, so I have nothing to add. So, yeah. uh, well, so with that though, like... um. So this next film, we kind of, kind of based on the same concept, this, this uh, big budget blockbuster made for the masses, but this one is a little, you know, talking about Chinese films here. They're strange. They're kind of a, maybe not anomalies, what word. Just a very um, contemporary thing that we haven't really dealt with yet. Where, you know, this is like it's 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 the only it's the one film beneath Avatar in the top ten like highest movies of the year so far, like over six hundred million. But most Americans will have never seen it because the, the, the Chinese system can be very, very insular with its blockbusters. So now this is, of course, the Battle of Lake Changjin 2, Watergate Bridge. Um, this is the sequel to the last year's Battle of Lake Changjin. So this is a, this was made in two parts. <laughs> Not unlike, you know, things like Avatar, where it's multi, multi-stage or Lord of the Rings, these multi-stage epics. Um, and this takes place in the Korean War. It, it, it um, centers on this very famous battle um, in America, uh, the U.S. military history, we know it as we know it as the Chosin River Valley battle, uh, battle but the but very strangely, kind of interesting enough, um, that was because of a uh, a, a translation error. Like the actual place is uh, Lake Changjin, but I guess we, the Marines back then had like, had the poorly translated Japanese maps, so they called it Chosin. Yes, yeah, very very yeah, a, a very interesting uh, manifestation of a. Uh, the ignorance of colonialism, <laughs> but you know, but also, in this, but what's fascinating here is that um, this one event is seen very differently between the two, two, two nations, the U.S. and China specifically. For us, we we touted it as a um, this grand, um, successful retrograde, which is the nice way of saying retreat because we don't like that word in America. But it's you know, it, it, it was a successful operation where they were able to pull back thousands of Marines from from certain death. Uh, able to regroup and restage uh, for the ongoing uh, operations in the war, and, and along the way they killed like you know uh, tens of if not hundreds of thousands of, of Chinese soldiers in this retrograde with relatively uh, minimal losses on on our side, U.S. side. For China, though, this is a this is a historic victory. They essentially stopped the advance of the United States Army uh, of the U.S. forces into from completely taking over uh, Korea, the entire peninsula. They stopped them in this in this area, North Korea, and thus prolonged the war until this eventual ceasefire. But yeah, they they essentially the victory is that they 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 stopped America from winning the war. And so you know this it's very fascinating how they, these two nations see this one incident. Um, so in the movie specifically though, this is, this is like the uh, second part of this battle, um, historically speaking, and um, there's a like a a, a a dam, a large dam or a bridge. Um, at the Lake Changjin, so they have to hold that uh, until the, the they can get forces together. So yeah, um, 
we spoke with this last year, you know, um, three three famous, you know, legendary Chinese directors uh, did part of this, you know, Choi Hawk and so forth. And like, so that, and that's all on screen. Like this is a very massive, very intricate combat sequences, you know, r- real uh, practical effects. Well, you know, a combination of practical CGI, all, all the tools available to them, you know, the, the, the full the full might of the uh, people Republic of China is under these movies, you know, like still, this is like very much like by the book definition of propaganda. This is state funded uh, cinema, but you know, that that's, that's just how they roll, man. That's, that's, that's what it is. You gotta, it is what it is. But in doing so though, you know, it's, again, this is very like high level, you know, it, it, it goes toe to toe with any major blockbuster that America's ever, ever, ever developed. Yeah. For people who, who aren't as familiar with the Chinese film industry. So, and we did talk about this on the last one, but just as a reminder, the three directors of this are uh, Choi Hawk, uh, Chen Cage and Dante Lam. To put that in an American perspective, that would literally be if James Cameron, Steven Spielberg, and Michael Bay got together and directed a blockbuster at the behest of the United States government. I mean, that's that's literally what we're dealing with here. It is, it is, it is a thing that just does not happen in really almost any other country in the world. Uh, uh, in terms of this type of, you know, because even now in like Putin's Russia, yes, there's propaganda films being made, but but they're not being made with the resources <laughs> that the battle at Lake Chongjin 2 is being made with and the absolute staggering filmmaking talent uh, that is behind it, um, you know, because it. I, I, I don't know if this one does, but I know the first one also, if I'm not mistaken, Vice, it starred Wu Jing as well. So you basically have you basically have Cameron Spielberg and Bay directing a movie starring Tom Cruise. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's, yeah. that's yeah. what you've got here. Yeah. And, you know, and it just kind of, again, it's, it's not much to really describe the movie because it's more basically like a several, like 45 minute long action sequences. So you kind of have to let it wash over you. But again, the bigger, the bigger point here is that um is to see this same historic event retold in different ways by these the two most powerful nations in, in the world and and although and yet you see the distinct differences both with the, the similarities you know they have kind of the same um I, I, I it's not quite called the noble savage trope but you know like they have like a one of the marine generals you know based on a real character who's like these chinese are so brave if only we, we didn't have to fight them you know like they, they, they do the kind of stuff that we, we would have in our movies our world movies about you know fighting the, the 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 noble savages but it's us in this case it's very it's a very surreal experience to see we reflect the, as an american at least or an american soldier reflected on screen like that um, but yeah but it, it's definitely like worth seeing like just kind of to see how another nation sees us and history as well it's a very fascinating thing that i, I recommend anybody if you're anybody at the cinema like because again like another important thing is that international cinema quote-unquote or world cinema is not just these fucking boring ass art house movies you know i mean i'm, I'm being flipping but you know you the general cinema like you know, it's not just these like stayed cold dramas or these like you know intricate like little small intimate set pieces like it's big ass explosions too like that's the world you get you living it's not it's not just the corner of the as, as you perceive it this is what they're actually watching so it behooves you to take part in that to see how the rest of society, the rest of the world, and their cinema culture watches movies too, not just the things you you think they are. Yeah, no, exactly. I mean, and I actually I was a little surprised you didn't actually pair this up with RRR because I, I mean I, I see the movie you paired it up with and it makes perfect sense, but um, 
you know, they are very much of of a of a a same cloth in terms of this is what the populist cinema of their respective nations looks like. They are they are replicating Hollywood blockbusters, but with a uh, arguably intensive nationalism streak that we haven't you know and and i get pushback every time i say this because trust me i understand the history of american nationalism in cinema (laughs) but but we we haven't really had that for 25 years you know um not at the level that these movies are at uh you know the the last movie i'm sure somebody will call me out the last movie I feel like that had the level of nationalism of these movies is uh, friggin' Mel Gibson's The Patriot. You know, I mean, I mean, they, yeah, that, exactly. that is the level we're talking. We're talking waving flags and all of that sort of stuff, but with three hundred million dollar budgets or or the equivalent of, uh, and uh, it's 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 fascinating cinema to me. I can't get enough of it. I, I love this shit, even though it sometimes makes me feel the. I, I can't get enough. I cannot watch enough of it because it's it's just so fascinating to see how the same language of cinema that has been developed gets used. You know, it's like you said, Vice. It's it's the whole eye of the beholder thing. This was a great battle for Americans because we saved a bunch of lives by uh, you know doing a retrograde, uh, and it was a great battle for the Chinese because uh, they forced us out and essentially. I'm not a historian on the Korean War, but my understanding is this is the battle that basically led to the creation of the, you know, the the DMZ and 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 the whole exactly. system, yeah, you know, because uh, we, the the Western forces couldn't get any farther into Korea after that. So yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, so yeah, that's a great point. And so I will say the movie I did pair this with, though, I think is just it's a good contrast actually to this is um this is a uh, uh, devotion. Um, sorry. It, it, it's um also based in the Korean War. Uh, it's about what about essentially a smaller scale, relatively smaller scale kind of film. Um, it's about the uh, one the first black African American naval aviator. Um, and so you know, starring uh, Jonathan Majors and uh, Glenn Powell, um, as these two uh fighter pilot um um buddies, and or the wingman as I say, and how that um how their relationship developed. Uh, you know, it, it, you know, it, it, this time of it's still segregation, still heavy racism, or still overt institutionalized racism, um, and how it, they he not really overcame, but um, how he lived through it, and all, but ultimately, um, how they, despite these differences and despite this pressures from both the enemy and the, the, their own government, they were heroes. They they were and they were true friends. So it's just kind of this like quiet, relatively quiet. Friendship, love story between these two men, who you know bound by a blood and honor. I mean, and again, this is a it's a real story. This is a real person. So, sadly, you know, in the reality, the uh, the pilot uh, he did he did uh, uh, pass. Jesse Brown is the Jesse Brown. He did die in combat uh, during one of his battles in the Korean War, and and his friend Tom Hudner uh, got a medal of honor for trying to save him. He he basically crashed his plane to next to his next to Jesse's crash plane to try to save him. Um, and it came under heavy fire during so, and um, but yeah, unfortunately, you couldn't save him. But you know, it's just, it's a, just a beautiful little movie in that. It's, it's, again, I, I use the film a little loosely because it's still a war epic, but it's just more, much more about their relationship than it was about the war. And you know, and, and we, we, people talk about you know, there's no more movie stars, 
Oh my God, Glenn Powell and Jonathan Majors, these guys have it. These, these, they're, they're just, they have the A4E full... approved boys. They are both A4E <laughs> approved boys. For those who remember when we did our, uh, our future action stars, they were on, they were both on the short list. They didn't, they didn't make it, but uh, boy, they are, they're, we're big fans around these parts yeah. of the world. Yeah. And part of it, you know, that like, part of it is that, um, there's not really like, there's not many like overt, like, you know, like, um, in a typical race movie where he like the black person will face like overt judgment or, or, or um, discrimination. They kind of, there is some of that, but it's much more internalized for well, how he portrays, portrays Jesse. You know, he kind of talks to himself in the mirror. Like he says all the things that he expects to hear from all the racist white people. It's a very, it's very chilling. Like it's, it's a, you can only imagine that the real Jesse Brown, what he had to endure and having to always take the high road out of, out of necessity to survive all the abuse he must have faced um, just, to, just to do his job for his country, you know? And so I think Jonathan Majors plays out very well. And at the same time, the chemistry with Glenn Powell, like as this uh, decent, honorable man who's trying to do the right thing, you know, their their chemistry together is it's fucking beautiful, man. I would just watch the movie with them doing laundry, honestly. Like, it's just so good together on screen. They're beautiful. They have this tons of raw talent, charisma. Like, they're, they're, the whole package, both of them together, it's, it's, it's amazing, you know? Yeah, so this is a good time to just see them, but then like you know, to see this, I think an important story historically that isn't told very often, right? doesn't really have as much like um, notoriety as something like say Pearl Harbor or whatever. Um, but it's still you know I think it's a, it's a great classic movie. And to that point, you know the irony is also me that you know Glenn Powell is again starring as, as a fighter pilot in the Navy in a movie this year. But you know people have said that you know Top Gun is a uh, movies like they like they used to make. Well, you know if they made more of those, people will see them. Well, Devotion is that movie. This is a classic, old school, you know, traditional film with handsome leading men. But nobody fucking saw it. Like, so, uh, you know, that's, that, that is, isn't quite correct or it's not quite fair. Um, but that all said, you know, I think that this is the kind of movie that, that, that isn't really, not really meant to kind of grab seats like the way Top Gun has. It's, again, it's a more intimate kind of quiet relationship story. So still, nonetheless, I, I do hope that in time people will Catch it, however, you know, on streaming or home or however it is, you know, realize that, you know, this is a really great, solid, modern film that anybody can appreciate, you know, it's really, it's really great. Well, and I'm also a big fan of uh, director J.D. Dillard's uh, previous movies, uh, Slight and especially Sweetheart. I didn't get to see this one, but I'm eagerly awaiting for it to, to hit streaming because this is one I, I really do want to watch. So, yeah. uh, oh, and I remember, so the reason I, part of also why I brought this up together with the uh, Tanjin. Another fascinating thing about seeing the, the same the war from two different sides, I'm fairly certain that a certain a certain scene in the movie where they're doing a, a gun run um, with the with the, US, the navies attacking um, the, the Chinese soldiers, I'm fairly certain that this is the same actual battle as depicted in Chikle Changjin, where they were trying to overrun uh, this this, this uh, American base camp, and then they they receive airplane fire, and in in Lake Changjin. It's a full-on action, you know. He pulled, he pulled up the, uh, the RPG or whatever, the the recoil rifle, and shoots the plane down. Whereas in this movie, like they they're doing the bombing run, and it's a just really morose, tragic thing where he has he has he crashes, he has to rescue him. It's very somber, somber and, and you know, and sad. Where the other movie is like it's a fucking full-on like you know, a Chuck Norris action piece. And I'm pretty sure it's the same fucking battle, you know. It's like, <laughs> so again, it's like again, just seeing the, the contrast of how two different nations, two different cultures see the same event. Really fascinating stuff. That would actually be fascinating to ask JD Dillard about. I would I would love for us to do that. We need to try and get him on the show. <laughs> so 
So okay, so next next you um so again we before before um this, these are like a female based you could say um um war movies. Um, the first is a uh, Black Crab. It's on Netflix. Well, it came on Netflix. It's a, a Danish uh, film. Really, I really it's one of my favorites of the year. I even honestly, it's um kind of one of those um not post apocalypse, but uh, uh, uh you know in the future, you know um uh, breakdown society. It's a war for survival. Um, with uh, famine and, and disease spreading, so like you know, it's a very bleak. You know, things like the road or the game, Last of Us. It's kind of the kind of elements stories. Um, and and here we have Numi Rapace, the legend Numi Rapace. You know, I I think still one of the underrated action stars, or, or actresses even in in the world. Even though she's she's a famous actress, no doubt, known internationally. You know, but uh, she, in all her movies, like whenever it's time for action, she throws fucking down. She's like she gets beat the fuck up. And here in Black Crab is no exception. Like not just like physically and emotionally. Like she goes all the way. She puts her full weight of her dramatic chops and her her you know running gun skills for great effect. So on this one, it's um there you know, we're in this war torn future, and this kind of this uh, last desperate uh, suicide mission for survival to, to defeat the enemy forces, uh, based you know based in the in the Netherlands and in Denmark so forth you know northern Europe, and so uh, they send this crew of uh these small crew of, of soldiers. Well, like civilian soldiers, basically, because it's the you know, end of the world, so everybody's a soldier, to uh, do this one last final strike to hopefully end the war. Um, and it's very so. It's, this is like a pitch black movie. It's like bleak as fuck. Like I just want to, you know, I, I recommend it, but it's like this is like not. It's one of those bad end kind of movies. You know, like nothing, nothing good is going to happen in this movie. Just know that going in. <laughs> wait, wait, really, a Scandinavian movie that is uh, that is bleak and, uh, and hopeless. Get out. <laughs> Yeah, but yeah, but you know, but but in it though, like um, it's a very unique um setup because uh, so the title of Black Crab is uh the reason is that they're going to uh in this area region of, of Norway, the the um bay or the coastline has frozen over just just enough that a person could or a small group of people can skate along it or ice ice skate, whereas you know vehicles or whatever would be too heavy for it or but also the uh surrounding land territory is totally uh over over overrun. So the the they're moving you know sideways like under the night black crab to do this secret mission. So they they're like it's really really well done. These action sequences, these like these set pieces, are done a lot one of the times on like the frozen water. And even now, I'm not sure how they did it. Like it look it looks fucking amazing. It looks like they're actually on the on the real ice in 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 the middle of like or you know in a bay fighting fucking helicopters. It's it's, it's a really well done. Uh, uh, action or a war film in in, in action regards, um, and again, you know, she's it's heavy drama, so she's putting the full weight because you know the uh, inner story that she's trying to find her lost daughter, so that's what that's what compels her or forces her to go on this mission, suicide mission, and so so they all this dramatic weight behind it, these high level um, uh, you know, Scandinavian actors. I, I don't know the name specifically, but I've seen them in other things, and they're like these are top, these are like top tier you know guys, um, doing this stuff, and yeah, it's just a really inter interesting setup, really interesting like you know. The, the actual like you know uh post-apocalyptic setup isn't novel but the way they play it out you know they really wring as much tension out of it as possible it's really solid the film i really enjoyed this yeah unfortunately I, I i missed this one i know i know i meant to watch it a while ago but i i didn't see this one but you've like sold me on it even more and and i'm i'm with you i think numi rapace is uh She's she's one of the great unsung like sort of action stars of the world. She is she is just so cool in in every in like weirdly like not weirdly but um icily cool. Uh just she she just 
uh, radiates, you know, going all the way back to when she was in the girl, the original girl with the dragon tattoo. She just, she just has a vibe and that is a vibe that I am here for. So I definitely need to check this one out. Yeah. So this one I paired with um, another one we talked about also on Netflix, Interceptor, kind of the uh, more like the uh, kind of old school 80s slack action kind of movie. Um, or, uh, and, you know, where there's a um, missile defense station, uh, station on an oil rig and you know, some terrorist take it over to uh, start World War Three, whatever, start, start nukes all over the, all over the U.S. So, you know, kind of classic uh, bomb, bombastic slot going on. But, it's, you know, it's when it's time for the action, it's really well done. It's really high end stuff. Even though you know it's very, very clearly you know a low budget kind of B movie, but you know that's part of the charm of it all. You know, like, and, and, and again, we're or a free we're all about that kind of stuff. So, yeah, I, we, again, we 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 spoke about this in a previous episode, but yeah, I definitely do. Um, if you're into that, if you understand the kind of you know B movie fun vibe, I definitely recommend it. Um, but I said you know like, like I mentioned also in the, in the previous review, what really surprised me though is that um the backstory they give the character, um the, the main character. Oh, this is Elsa Pataki um, as as uh, the captain here, the uh, the action heroine. There's a um, sexual assault backstory to the character that is shockingly accurate to the real life chronicles of many. Uh, you know, the sexual assault in the military, the U.S. military, is, is a fucking epidemic, sadly to say. And even after all these years, like there's still like no really real headway to solving it, other than you know a re- awareness rec- recognition about the problem, like, understanding it's a problem. And so they use that kind of this thing, you know, this woman who's sexually assaulted, and but also just not just the they don't really go into the it's not like a, they don't show again, like you know, assaulted per se, but like the guilt and the grief and the disbelief and the shame that comes afterwards that's common to so many um sexual assault survivors, you know, that that's all ranks so fucking real, and specifically in the uh military context where you know that. You know, well, it, it ruins people's careers because of the way they're kind of castigated in any field. But how it relates to the, in the military is like you know, the, it's the more the suck it up kind of thing, or you know, you you, you know what you were, or you know what you were getting into when you when you signed up. That, that kind of shit. That that's, that's kind of specific to the military. You know, we were trying about this macho, male-dominated, um, violent uh, um, organization, and they they use that 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 kernel of truth so well to flesh out. Which is otherwise a you know kind of a stock action hero, but it, it but it adds just that element adds so much to what she does and how she fights and how she goes to the this mission. It, it, it's it's really, really fascinating, really like shock again shocking like to have again it's like kind of this base level stock movie had that really hard veracity to it that adds to the flavor of the movie. I was really impressed by that. You know, again you know, but you know it's still like you know explosions and jump kicks and stuff like that. It's still it's still a great time. But that really like put it put it above, a step above other kind of movies like that like this for me. So. Well, it it also and and this isn't on your list, but for me, I would actually also pair it with a movie that came out around the same time too, which is uh, it's not really a war movie, even though it's got a war setting, which is Sophia Banks' Black Sight. And um, and the thing about both of them is this to me illustrates the importance of having women working on your action movies uh now the the writer and director of of uh interceptor is is a man but uh elsa pataki was a producer she was a major influence i mean this this movie was basically made for her black site was was directed by a woman uh sophia banks starring michelle monaghan and and i i hope for our 
our our our women listeners, you, you guys know we try and do things right. So if I misspeak in what I'm about to say here, feel free to let me know. I'll 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 do better next time. But one of the problems with a lot of female-led action movies is they the the main characters become dudes with tits. Right. They act like dudes. They, they they there's functionally no difference other than they have boobs. And what I think both Interceptor and Black Sight do nicely, and it sounds kind of like based on what you said, Black Crab does ni- well too, is never lose the sight of the fact that that these absolutely kick-ass action heroines also have unique personality traits that 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 are unique to them as women being in these situations. And and that's really where a diversity of voices making movies becomes important because you can't, it's not just enough. And I'm sure there's some people listening to us that are going to roll their eyes at this. You can't just cast a black person as your action star and call it diversity because everybody has unique experiences. You need black people writing the movies. You need black people directing the movies, producing the movies. You need women and minorities and trans people doing all of this because there are you those unique experiences and 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 it's like you said vice it's such a little thing in interceptor it's such a small part of what is basically a pm entertainment 1980s direct to video action movie <laughs> but it's an important part it's a part that separates it black site has a similar thing and and that makes a difference it really does matter and so um you know and i i hope we can just we can get that because the two aren't mutually exclusive we can have women or uh disenfranchised focused people focused action movies that are still just kick ass through and through all sorts of, and and it can be just as problematic as all the action movies we love because interceptor's <laughs> problematic as fuck i mean through and through this thing the whole the bad guy's whole scheme is just wild in terms of what it's trying to say but that's all fine but it's those little things that matter. And so that's, yeah, that's really all I have to add to that conversation. And again, if I somehow didn't say it uh, properly or didn't articulate myself, uh, you know, let me know and I'll, I'll try and say it better on another episode down the road. Yeah. As Liam says the imperfect allies, right? <laughs> I, I really do think in hindsight, that's what we actually should have called the show. <laughs> <laughs> well, actually that's a great point that you brought up because it kind of goes into the next films that are talking about. So now we're going to go step back into antiquity for a bit, back into the old days of sword, sword and shield and such. Because here we have a a, a very distinctly diverse um, movie starring African-Americans, Black people, Africans as well, uh, directed by Black women, uh, Woman King. We talked about this earlier. Um, starring Val Davis as, uh, based on this uh, legendary uh, African tribe, tribe and their, um, their sect of uh, warrior women. And, you know, and as we said before, like uh, the highlight of this film is like this is like a well, the stars and the stars and the action because the stars fully commit themselves to becoming full on action heroes, and then when it's time for the actual combat sequences, it's some of the best in years uh, in, in a major blockbuster cinema, like the 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 all the all the both large scale and small scale sword hand 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 fights, the swords and blades, you know, it's it's, it's high level high level stuff, you know, Jeter Prince brought with his director here. And you know, and I, I mentioned before, you know, I wasn't a big fan of Olga, but like here, she she's on top of her game. It's like really crisp movements, and again, Viola Davis, Tana Lynch, the newcomers here, all they're like they made their this is like a announcement, like, you know, your action heroes, your black women action heroes are here. They've always been here. You just haven't paid attention. And then 
you know, like, you know, gives them, hooks them up, gives them time to shine. Um, and we, we talked about before, you know, the, again, some problematic, you know, elements similar to things like RR where some of the history is skewed. Uh, I mean, you know, we mentioned the, the, the Patriot, you know, Mel Gibson, history is skewed a bit to make for a more entertaining ride. So just know that going in that some of this stuff isn't quite historically accurate, of course, you know, even though it's based on, you know, uh, uh, this tribe's relationship to the slave trade, the left the slave trade. So some of it is, uh, you know, kind of bumpkiss, but, uh, you know, it's, it's still like as a, as a general rousing, you know, female led war, war film from antiquity, it's just like high level stuff. Yeah. The, uh, the, the thing for this one, and I don't think I brought it up when I talked about it, cause I was absolutely just blown away by this one. Um, you know, uh, is, I finally thought about it and I think the movie it most reminds me of in terms of the action is actually Troy uh, Wolfgang Peterson's Troy because again what makes Troy so fun is the unique fighting styles that are used in that movie and this is kind of the same way it's it's fighting styles that we know but it's done in such an interesting way that it feels so different and, and so interesting and it's so visually appealing to watch Um this is one I loved it when I saw it a month later, the more I think about it, the more I continue to love it. And I have a feeling that when I see it again, I'm going to even, I mean, I already gave it four stars on letterbox, but I have a feeling when I see it again, it's going to get bumped up a half a star or a full star again. I, this one, this one has stayed with me um, yeah. again, problematic from a story standpoint and stuff, but uh, just, just from an action standpoint, um, Man, it's it's so terrific. It, it is so unbelievably well done, and uh, and obviously, you know, you you mentioned you mentioned the cast, and and obviously Viola Davis is just amazing. But got to shout out my boy again, John Boyega, another great performance. Um, he, he, you know, he doesn't. Have, it's not breaking, but uh, he's got another great performance in this one. So that's two movies on this list with John Boyega. So uh, yeah, to see him as to see him like this kind of like really broken down veteran, and then see him like this posh boy prince with his titties out you know with, with, with his harem it's such a great you know that, that's rage man that's rage baby he got it <laughs> you could tell he was just having he was having so much fun uh you know in in doing this movie um yeah no i mean but that's boyega that's the thing he i'm i'm so annoyed that i feel like finn has trapped him into a certain type of role or not a certain type of role but a certain type of perception in terms of the audience because I mean, even Detroit, which was a movie that I thought was a major misfire from Catherine Bigelow. I thought he was tremendous in, um, you know, so anyway, that's that's all I got on on that one. Woman King. Great movie. Everybody should watch it. So further into antiquity, we have the Korean film uh, Hansan, Rising Dragon, which we've this also before. This is the uh, prequel uh, to the Admiral Warren Currents. This is based on the life and the, the exploits of the legendary uh, Admiral Yi uh, uh, Sun-chin, uh, sorry, uh, a Korean, um, well, during the, the uh, not quite Korea, it's part of history, uh, the Chosen era, um, but essentially, uh, you know, what became Korea was evolved from all these battles, all these um, all these invasions and conquerings throughout history until Korea finally became its own one nation. But he was in instrumental. He's even now considered like, you know, a legendary hero and the first film, you know, the Admiral Occurrence, based off a very famous battle, it's, that first film is, is like, again, it's a comparison. If you can imagine if um, Tom Hanks starred as George Washington in Valley Force, the movie, that's what that's what the Admiral was. It's like critical battle where um, 
his one admiral one admiral and his like I think it was like his basically his single ship but his plus ten like uh supporting ships faced an entire fleet of Japanese forces um during during the Shogunate era and defeated them all in part because uh he the very special um natural phenomenon in this um this strait that he fought in where the current would change every three hours. So he used that advantage, tactical advantage, uh, tactical knowledge to advantage to defeat them, um, the, the overwhelming forces. So yeah, this guy, this guy, this Admiral Admiral Yi really was one of the greatest military leaders in human history. Like it's not a joke. Like you definitely check out, uh, look it up, um, very YouTube channel. Like this guy, this guy was legit, a, a real legend. So the, this uh, prequel kind of comes to another another critical battle in, in his in his um history, where he kind of uh, it's kind of sort of a quasi origin of um his famous techniques famous maneuvers because this movie is all about maneuvers but i tell you what if you, if you like maneuvers you're gonna love these fucking movies man <laughs> where he, he he uh developed this uh powerful uh what he called the cramming cramming formation uh to to have the korean ships defend against an overpower of the japanese ships you know very different uh technologically speaking uh, for the time different uh modes of modes of warfare the japanese ships were slender and lean and, and fast whereas the uh korean ships were stout and and, and uh heavy and part of this is um one of the things in history is that he had a this kind of famous uh, secret weapon, uh, what we, what we call the uh, the turtle ship. It's this giant, massive wooden frigate that had a huge steel plate covering over its top of its hull, and it had cannons in all directions. So this movie is kind of about that and how he uses that, plus his um you know exquisite uh, leadership to to win the day and uh, defeat the Japanese in this battle. Um, yeah, not much more to say. Like if you've seen the first one, it's pretty much the same vibe um like in this in the way that 300 has a sequel that's kind of like inferior it's not that at all these are definitely they're definitely like high high end higher end um films but i would say that um you know we, we mentioned we'll, we'll probably continue to mention we're covering war films there's going to be inherently uh in all these films problematic or a certain sense of nationalism or a certain sense of um conservatism or, or even like a, the digression compared to you know our modern thought that's I would you could say argue that's like the nature of world films, but at least for here or in this example of uh, Hansan, the Korean style of nationalism. Well, I'm not Korean. I've only lived there, but like a few years. But like, you, you need a real story to really dig into it. But just know that all their whenever the nationalism in the movies for them. Well, at least well in this case as a historical event, there's a context behind it because again, the Korean peoples um, is about the history have suffered uh, subjugation and be conquered and warfare for hundreds of years. So this that informs whenever they do these kind of historical victorious uh, showcases of battle, like that's what they're expressing, that they were able to be victorious against this, these era, long eras of oppression. So it's, you know, it's not quite the same thing as America, you know, going to, you know, John Wayne killing Indians. Like this, that's not the same context of their nationalism. It's a very distinct thing to them. Now, of course, again, that's still problematic in ways because there's still, even now to this day, animist racism against between Japanese and Koreans and Chinese even, that, again, has thousands of years of history behind it that we as Americans, or at least I as American, couldn't really parse in just an episode of this podcast. But just, you know, again, this, the important thing here is that as you're watching these international films, you, you start to you start to digest and partially understand where they're coming from. And it behooves you again to further look into that or research that in your own time beyond the movies to see how and why they're saying what they're saying in these films. 
You know, it's not just blatant, you know, uh, Korea, great, Japan sucks. It's like there's thousands of years of real history behind this stuff. Well, and I actually think Korea may be better than any other country. Um, always manages, even in their nationalistic films, they always manage to throw in shades of gray. Uh, you know, and I, and, I, and I wonder if part of that might be because they're sort of whole... And, and again, I'm not a Korean scholar by any means. So if I'm misspeaking, I'm just, I'm talking off, off the cuff here. If, you know, the, the whole Korean new wave that started sort of this Korean, modern Korean cinema was basically started by JSA, uh, which is an incredibly gray and, uh, and, and, and tough movie to watch in terms of, North Korea bad, South Korea good, you know, and then they got their big blockbuster after that was Shiri. And so the the thing that's kicked off this whole modern blockbuster Korean cinema, these movies, they started as these very gray movies. Whereas, you know, I think about you take something like, and I love, I, I love Ipmon. Don't get me wrong. I love Donnie Yen's Ipmon. That's one of my favorite martial arts movies of the last 20 years. But that thing is so wildly nationalistic against the Japanese, which I don't blame China for. Japan invaded them. Like, but at the flip side, you're fucking China now, man. Like, <laughs> you know, and so that that is that is the thing that I always feel like Korean movies manage to grasp a little better, maybe than some other nations, including our own. Uh, we're not exempt from this is that they're. There's always, I feel like most of their nationalism, there's always this like underlying current of, but it would be nice if we didn't need to be nationalistic, if that, if that makes yeah. sense. And also the, and also the, you know, that, that kind of, um, that certain sense of, um, not satire, but um, criticism or, or they're so critical, like, you know, JSA, you know, very much like this, the bad guy isn't this soldier or that soldier, it's the, the, the system we're in. And even and this is the real the real story of Yi Sun is like um for over the over the years the course of his career he was his greatest enemies were not the Japanese they were his own his own council people were jealous of him and tried to get him arrested and tried and tried and demoted several times this guy but he was just that well because he was so good they were jealous of him but also like the, his nation needed him and thus he was able to prevail and with his with his friends and with his abilities so yeah like, that that's 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 also not you know that's very much part of this too like how the underhandedness of your own people or your own allies can be your own downfall if you're not careful. They, they, definitely, definitely don't, they, don't, they don't avoid that as well, even for all of its nationalism. So yeah, very interesting thing from Korea. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I, I do just want to say again, uh, when Vice and I point out things like propaganda and stuff like that, that does not mean we don't enjoy the movies. We both just are, are attuned to these things and we think they're things to recognize. I, I, like, again, I've said this before on the show. I'll say it again. One of my favorite Chinese movies of all time is fucking Wolf Warrior 2. The most propagandistic motherfucking movie. Like, I can also fully acknowledge the propagandistic and nationalistic aspects of Wolf Warrior 2. I just like Wu Jing flipping off Frank Grillo in a tank. So, you know, I'm a simple man with simple pleasures. Uh, which actually leads us perfectly, Vice, kind of into our next group of movies. Because they are, interestingly uh propagandistic i think i would say so um we finished antiquities let's go just jump back into the modern era um so we have three here that are interesting um these are now these are current modern warfare films from different countries that are especially about either ongoing current 
conflicts still happening as we speak, or the again the the recent uh, global war on terror and these different aspects. Um, the first one we spoke before is uh, Sniper the White Raven. This is the uh, Ukrainian war film based on a real Ukrainian sniper. It could be called Ukrainian sniper, if you, if, honestly. Um, and you know his his exploits against the Russian invasion that is sadly as of this recording still ongoing. Um, and and, and well, again we we spoke about that at length. So I would just say you know it's um it's a really it's surprisingly well for being a grim and kind of serious drama. It also has really like a high end, like you know, high end, not quite DTV, but um, of that ilk kind of action. It's a, it's a very, it takes both its drama and its action very seriously. So you know, in that regard, it does feel it. Again, this is on its face a propaganda film. And again, you have to understand the context. The Ukrainians are in a war right now, fighting against the, the real Russians right now. So you understand why this, this, it is the way, what it, why it's come to be, and again, based on a real person also fighting in this war still. Um, but just uh, one thing I found fascinating is that um, the main character, you know, although you see clearly his, his see clearly his uh, motivations and reasons why and and his thought process, they stop just sort of like actually interrogating what what this ongoing warfare and hatred means to him, because in the end he's still kind of like a this. Uh, you know, again, this Chuck Norris kind of uh, rah-rah hero, but they don't really uh, delve into them him like uh, what is how the war is killing him inside, um, other than you know hardening his resolve. But you know, that's seeing how the, one of the, the real the real guy was producer of the film. I guess that's the, his call to make. <laughs> but so yeah. with that though, um, I was just gonna say really quick because I haven't seen the other two, but obviously you know you know I've seen this one. That 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 is the one complaint I do have about the movie is it doesn't really. Um, you know, this, this guy gave everything up. I mean, he lost everything and it, it, it could have delved a little deeper, but like you said, real guys, producer of the movie, he wants to make himself look like a badass. And then, I mean, the reality is he, he was a badass. There's no question about that, but, uh, and, and maybe it turns out, you know, in real life, maybe it didn't cost him anything. Maybe he was just like, oh shit, I shouldn't have been a pacifist all along, but that was <laughs> the one kind of criticism i have of the movie but other than that i i really enjoyed the shit out of this one this was is one i definitely recommend people check out so that then so so that no we have a kind of from the other end of the rifle scope i was finally able to get my hands on this movie this is a once in the desert this is a russian war film that came out uh, in limited release i think this year um and this is based on um the russian efforts in syria during the battles with ISIS, you know, or the Islamic State, as they, as they call themselves, uh, the terrorist organization. So once again, here we have full-blown propaganda, but from the other side, and it's uh, kind of great. <laughs> I have to actually be very careful how I say this because, well, I mean, as we've established by now, you, you, have to, you understand that we don't necessarily are condoning or approving or, or, uh, castigating the intent behind these movies just taking them as they are so knowing that you know and and but also in my specific case with my history which i can't speak too much on um in regards to the information of russia's involvement in syria this it's questionable to say the least about what the intent or what's being shown on screen here but as an as a pure raw action action-based war film 
it's actually a, a high end uh, feat of, of cinema. And I'm actually really, I'm really surprised that, that, you know, it was done so well, you know, just, you know, just as much, this is much craft as, as Sniper White Raven. Um, so set up here is that there's um, this uh, beleaguered uh, veteran EOD, uh, a bomb disposal uh, soldier in Russia, from Russia, who was in Syria to help, help the uh, local Syrians to, uh, to fight ISIS and uh, ISIL. And, uh, you know, he has this team of uh, bombs, team he's teaching how to do bomb disposal. But along the way, uh, he uh, runs a foul. Well, he uh, meets this uh, new team of uh, EOD techs and their, their young brash captain, and he kind of uh, has a tension between them. But throughout the movie, they he shows like his both his importance as a soldier, but also his um and his, his experience as a veteran, and also the you know the the the, the deviousness of ISIL, which is for sure a real thing. You know, the, this, if there's any if there's, if there's any evil Reich or evil organization, that, like without question in the world, it's them. So uh, there's no there's no kind of disputing that or having to gloss that over but you know the, the, and so the, the way this movie is set up is like he's very much like a, a there's very very similar tones and tropes to something like a hurt locker you have this kind of bomb disposal guy go kind of losing his mind a little bit you know forever stuck in war and you know lots of like a tense uh tense uh set pieces with like intricate bombs and stuff like to be disposed of and actually i could see which is Revolved around those, so yeah, it's very much in that same spirit. But again, this is with a Russian hero, so just you know, what, 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 know what you know and know what you believe going in with all that um, as you watch this movie. But uh, overall, though, like I said, it's um, it it as far as like the aesthetics and the tone and the plot points and beats, it matches an American war, American war film beat for beat. It's like really well made. And so you know that's it's a very it was really, again like I again it even has said these were impressive but that's what I was impressed by how how well it was was put together, um, but yeah I, so uh it's yeah that this is one of the many things that I always have to deal with contend with uh, you know as a I guess you could say war film historian is um even talking about some of these things can be mistaken for promoting them. And it's not what I'm doing here, but this is just a, this is a study, a study, historically chronological of war films of this year. And I would be remiss if I if I didn't point this out. Well, and it's I think it is important to know. And and again, I'm not an expert in Russian cinema, but I've certainly seen my fair share that it for it to be like you said, a rock solid piece of cinema, regardless of what's behind it. That's no guarantee. When it comes to, you know, you know, Russia has I don't want to offend if we have any Russian listeners, Derek, uh, I, I know you're listening, but you and I have had this conversation, our, our good friend of the show, Derek Brox, you and I have had this conversation. You're not going to disagree with me on this. Russia has some of the worst blockbusters I have ever seen in my life. I mean, they they have some <laughs> of the most terrible big budget cinema I have ever seen. And, and I'm not generalizing. I mean, obviously it's the home country of Sergei Eisenstein. Like this is a country that in an industry that revolutionized cinema, but I think it is important if there is a movie like this, that is a, a proper, like good piece of cinema, regardless of what's going on behind it. I think it's important to talk about. We, we need to talk about this. I mean, Christ, Eisenstein made some of the greatest movies of all time that also are, you know, the intent behind them was 
you know, kind of horrible, <laughs> you know? And so you, that's always the thing that we do, but a good movie can still be just a good movie. Just know what you're getting into when you watch it. Yeah. And, and I guess I get, just kind of to, to kind of to modify that, like it's good as far as like, it's a, a classic note for note war film, but like, you know, if you, if you're averse to that kind of melodrama, that's an anywhere film, it, it definitely leans on that leans towards that a lot more. So just, you know, it's, it's not like, you know, it's not a super fair ride, but it, it's, it's definitely hitting the same notes, but this, this well, what in a way I wasn't really expecting was, was worth noting. Um, so, and with that though, so one more we have here in this, in this kind of same uh, category of modern war films, two countries, we have the ambush. This is a, this is a fascinating film to me. This is, um, cause a lot of times the big criticism of war films in general is that there's always, there's always from the, uh, Western, uh, to which white perspective of, you know, a white colonialist or whatever, or, or imperialist or uh, occupiers occupying another nation, usually Middle East, especially well, in the case of the, the global war, that's more or less what it is. Um, but here, the ambush is a very fascinating. This is a made in the uh, United Arab Emirates, UAE, based on a true story of a uh, big attack that occurred between uh, 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 against UAE soldiers in Yemen during the Yemen Civil War. If you, that, that's still going now, but it's, it's happened a few years ago. And so, and so you have these. It's a, this is an Arabic war film, but in all of its texture and, and beats and tone, it's the exact same as like a Muggle Bay film, like Thirteen Hours or whatever, or or Black Hawk Down. It is like page for page. Just, but then then I say that, but still, even with that said, there's still very specific and distinct cultural signifiers to it. You know, there's still there's still soldiers from the UAE and all that entails. But the other part of that context is that um, the real world historical context is that the UAE is very close allies with the U.S. insofar as their strategic goals for containing terrorism. So to that end, in the film, they have our they have our gear, they have our equipment, they have our Humvees, our body armor, our our M4s. It's no, it's piece for piece in American war film. Again, except for again, these are Arabic soldiers. And so what as it plays out, you know, again, it's like a really fascinating scene to see, to see this like. Black Hawk Down uh, uh, esque, like a uh, contained long drawn out battle piece in Arabic, more or less. Yeah, and again, it's a very fascinating. Um, and, and and once again, it's like a still note for note kind of beat for beat. So again, if you like, if you're not a fan of this, the typical melodrama or hokiness of typical war films, you won't you won't really latch onto it. But once again, just seeing it from a different perspective. It's almost like a, a world, world of difference, like just to see how they, how they manifest these same tropes in their own language, literally and and, and like uh, metaphorically speaking, how they do it. Well, and, and the uh, other thing that I think you need to mention is who directed it. Oh, oh, I, sorry, I don't have it up. <laughs> oh, you're good. It's directed by uh, District B13 and Taken's Pierre Morel. Yes, so, yes. This and, is a definitely this is an international uh, event, an international project. Yeah. Like this is not, yeah. Yeah, they they literally brought in one of the best action directors in the world to uh to direct this movie, which I haven't seen it, but I find that I find that fucking fascinating. Like, yeah, and there are some there are some high level like there's a part where they have to there's a Humvee has to charge through a, a mortar strike. And I was like, this is this is like a, this is a high level real deal shit. Like this is not this is not a joke. It's not it's not a this is not a uh, like some lark that some rich guy decided to do. This is, a, this is a legit action war film. You know, it was really, really, really well done. 
Nice. All right. And then our next two are two that I also have not seen. So I will kind of let you take it from here. These are maybe, shall we call them the more quirky entries on the list? <laughs> yeah, it should have been a bizarre, absurd. It's, but like, again, once again, like even in the most bizarre stuff, there's really powerful truths about war and about how we perceive war and how uh, society at large. The first one is uh, Amsterdam. <laughs> this is uh, David o. Russell's new joint. With uh, Denzel Jr. and uh, Kristen Bell, Batman, and uh, what's her face, Harley Quinn. I, I this is one of the worst movies of the year. Like, I, if, I don't make worst movie lists, but like, this was on it. If I had one, this shit is terrible and ridiculous and unwieldy and historically inaccurate to an offensive degree. And it's just the 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 rambling and it's so misshapen and abhorrent. And yet, it's so fascinating to see this this depiction of war and this. Or and this um, these relationships between these people who have suffered this thing, and how how it relates to us now. Now, more specifically, though, what's interesting is that this is based loosely based on a true story. This is kind of a uh, again a highly fictionalized account of uh, what was known as the business plot. This occurred, I believe, in nineteen early nineteen thirties, nineteen thirties here in the U.S., uh, where uh, a group of uh, powerful business businessmen. Uh, which were were accused of uh, trying to bribe a, a famous general, a Marine general, uh, to essentially overthrow the government. Uh, to uh, this is during Roosevelt's uh, tenures, and so you know, and, and the movie kind of has lines that kind of re refer to it, where uh, Roosevelt at his you know in his time, you know, he's known as this great you know, historic figure now, but you know he's very divisive in his day, you know, and, and to some you know his policies, you know, his more progressive quote unquote socialist policies. But also just like more direct animus towards him, like you know, they would say to to quote, uh, excuse a, excuse a phrase like he's a cripple in the White House. You know, he's he, Roosevelt was you know historically in a wheelchair. Uh, he suffered from polio as, polio as a kid, and it affected his health uh, throughout his years. So, and and this is one of those things that are historically, or you know, you would it would be kind of a scandal in our modern age since the age of TV, and you can see the presidents now. You could see our leaders. To have someone with disability would be a scandal to some people, and it was certainly in that in that time as well. People did not look fondly upon it, and they they felt he was a weak leader, for that and other reasons. And so this there was an actual plot to try to oust him unconstitutionally. And so you can just by saying that all, you can see directly these parallels to our current time frame. Sadly enough, with the uh, January six uh, you know riots and uh, the, the the attempt by, by various uh, elected officials to overthrow the constitution, so. In that regard, this is a very fascinating uh, tome to see how that historical event, what it, what it means to our modern times. And so you have these characters who are in in any, any sense kind of progressive. She's an artist who has weird, weird abilities. She's in love with a black man who's a lawyer, who's a education, educated, you know, a, a exemplary model for for African-Americans, quote unquote. And this, uh, and she's built this, uh, part Jewish lawyer, uh, Jewish doctor, excuse me, who's uh, they're all friends together. So, you know, have this kind of this small cabal of progressivism, quote unquote, that's uh, here to the that in the story defends against this, uh, dictator authoritarian insurrection. And this, and it, but it's played out, it's played out in this kind of madcap, crazy, twisting mystery plot with these bizarre fucking acting choices. Like uh, Rami Malek, you know the the creep, creep master two thousand, Anya Taylor Joy looks like an alien. Like this is just fucking weird fucking people doing weird performances. This weird ass fucking movie. 
<laughs> but I, I don't know. I just after seeing it now, I, I still think it's I don't know. I rated it once one half star on Letterboxd. But just like I couldn't help but think that this is such a fascinating snapshot of, of using historical uh, you know, incidents to reflect modern times. You know, to me, like you know, it's not a war film, but you know, I've, there's been a lot of ruckus, as it were, about things like um, Glass Onion, you know, the Knives Out uh, sequel. You know, and it's, it's very overt uh, tech bro kind of satire. And you know, to me, uh, well, I haven't I haven't spoke about it at length, but uh, I like the movie, but uh, you know, that stuff kind of kind of falls flat to me sometimes. It's a little too too on the nose. Whereas this one, it's with Amsterdam, what it's doing is so bizarre. It's like I kind of, well, I'll be careful. I say this. I admire this, its absurdity and, and what it's trying to portray. And that all said, though, still knowing that, because in the end of the movie, there's this, this, this whole like high end to love defeating evil and love and unity and friendship and progressivism defeating the forces of evil and the forces of uh, authoritarianism and fascism. But it's made by this fucking trash bag dickhead of a human being, David O. Russell, who has, you know, sex assault charges against him. And he has, uh, he called, Lily Tomlin, one of the greatest actresses of our generation, the C word to her face. Like this guy's a fucking scumbag, and he's trying to make this like this, this like you know Harkin, oh Hark, level city day kind of movie. And it's like what a fucking farce. <laughs> this guy is yeah. such an asshole that George Clooney tried to knock him the fuck out. Like George <laughs> Clooney made a movie with Mark Wahlberg, and he still chose to punch David O. Russell. <laughs> right, like this, like that's how big of a fuck stick david o russell is yeah this is one i actually wanted to watch this one just because i wanted to see the dumpster fire but i was like i'm i'm not i can't i just i'm not gonna do it i'm just not gonna fucking support this guy anymore even though three kings speaking of war movies three kings is one of my favorite war movies that has ever been made but oh, it really is it really is yeah but i ain't supporting anything that david o russell does in the future. And so I, I I'm skipping this one, but I'm glad you suffered for me so that I don't. Have to. <laughs> yeah. Once again, you know, like the Russian propaganda film, where any of the it's like, a, you gotta understand, take the context of where it's coming from and just, you know, just, just as it is as well. And, you know, see where it's, let the pieces fall where they may. So yeah, I can't really recommend this movie. One, cause it's terrible too, but you know, all the things attached to it, but yeah, this is certainly uh, one of the most bizarre war films I've ever seen. <laughs> But with that, though, wait, we, this year, there's something more bizarre still. Uh, so here we have on, on Netflix here, Purple Hearts. I guess this is based on a popular um, a popular romance novel, I believe, uh, about a, a Marine. And uh, this like this uh, really like uh, conservative, you know, dickhead Marine who falls in love with this uh, really uh, progressive, uh, uh, well, they would say illegal immigrant or without papers. She's undocumented immigrant. Um, and so the whole the whole uh, crux is that... Uh, they decide to uh, get married to that though. Well, the, the Marine is in like serious debt with like these drug dudes and the, the, the love interest, the singer, she's a, she's an artist. She's a singing artist. She has diabetes. And so she needs, but she can't get insurance to get to her medicine. So they decide to plot to uh, marriage. It's one of known as um, BAH fraud in the military, a basic housing, uh, a basic loan for housing. It's basically money you get additionally to you, to your paycheck if you're married for a cost of living expenses. They commit BH fraud <laughs> so they cannot get out of each other's predicaments. Uh, but, and of course, in shitty romance novel fashion, they actually fall in love with each other. Uh, for real. <laughs> it's, uh, and so, just um, one of the, again, this is a terrible, terrible movie, the acting trouble, stupid plot. But in its 
as it's what plays out on screen is one of the most honestly honest depictions of like the age fraud and uh, and just um what it is to be living currently through this war. So for much of the film, there's many parts where like if you're a conservative, you you, you will see it, you will take it as a fuck yeah, fuck them libs kind of thing. Or if you're progressive, you can like it will come as so offensive and like how dare they make this this fucking propaganda movie. But the text of the film is that in order to survive in modern America, you must debase yourself for profit. And the only honor in service is abandoning it. And all the while, your friends and loved ones will die along the way, no matter what you do. That's the text of the fucking movie. That's what, that's what, that's what happened in the show. There's a, a scene that went viral online where they're having like a, a, a dinner with the Marines and all their wives slash girlfriends. And one of the Marines says something super, super offensive about like uh, Arab, Arab people. And so she has to, well, she, she directly confronts it, lashes out, and it causes the whole scene. And so, again, if you're a conservative, you, you, you say it like, you know, yeah, fuck that stupid progressive, like, hippie, that bullshit. You know, we're, we're going to kill, kill them all because they killed us, whatever. Or, or and if, you're, if you're watching it with progressive lenses, like, you know, she has to just sit through that and, like, be corrected by her man. But what's happening is that she has to suffer through this indignity to not die. That's the text of the fucking movie. It is so bizarre. <laughs> but yeah, it, it's I I I didn't want to see it, but I'm glad I did it because like like Amsterdam because like it just uh it, similar in a way similar to like how like like, like a bit of stuff like uh whether he intends to or not, there's a very real truth about our current society in this in these movies that one could take either way, but on its face on its in the text of it all it's it's it rings very true. Yeah, I uh I brought up your letterboxed review. Uh, for this one and I just I have to I have to say that your last line is is once again you know if people listening know Vice always says he's on Letterbox being smart and that is true if you are not following him on Letterbox you are making a big mistake but you bring up the Herzog quote of you must not avert your eyes is like just you describing this movie to me makes me want to see it, even though it's going to horrify me and I'm going to hate everything about it. Much <laughs> like Herzog. I feel like I must, this is modern media. I must not, this is wrestling. I must not avert my eyes. <laughs> like I, I need to know that these movies are being made. I, I do a terrible Herzog. I apologize. <laughs> But you get you get the sense you you've all seen fucking uh you know the Mandalorian you know what Herzog sounds like. There's there is some cinephile that literally just had a stroke because I the first thing that I brought Werner Herzog up for was the Mandalorian and that just makes me happy. <laughs> but anyway, <laughs> yeah. So yeah. So again, I can't I can't recommend these two um, movies, but and yet I think that more than most modern blockbusters are mainstream fair these speak to the heart of the truth of the matter about what this war has done to us than most other things this year so yeah just uh if you decide to dive in just know that going and it's gonna be a fucking rough ride he says he should suck man <laughs> well it just sounds like it sounds like a movie not to not to tie it back into actually a conversation from a while ago talking about patrick willem's video on Zack snyder but it sounds like a movie that maybe doesn't know what its viewpoint is it's maybe trying to have too many viewpoints at once because like you said it's raw raw this but then the actual text of the film is she's got to do this to not die and it is directed by a woman so it is interesting to me that there's it sounds like maybe it's it's a movie that 
doesn't quite even know what it wanted to be or what it wants to say. Yeah, I definitely get that feeling. But also, you know, just like I said, being a part of being based of a romance novel, and those are kind of historically or infamously just can be very bad on their own, problematic and otherwise, or just like, you know, poorly written. So I'm not sure if it's just like a fact of uh, bad writing or a confused tone, but either way, it's something else. Yeah, fair enough. All right. Uh, next one we got, we got two more movies for folks listening and we're trying to wrap this up pretty quick here. Um, well, actually, Vice, you said you wanted to leave at six. Do you want to, do you want to finish up the last two or do you want to wrap it up here? No, we can, we can, we can finish the last two. Okay. Um, oh yeah. So the last two here, um, this is actually pretty important ones. Um, kind of, I think just like how ambulance and breaking kind of, uh, encapsulate war films of this year. These two are pretty, pretty big benchmarks, I think. The first is the, this is the latest rendition of All Quiet on the Western Front. This is available now on Netflix, um, and it's made this year. This is uh, another adaptation of the uh, the world-renowned uh, novel All Quiet on the Western Front back in 19, 19 uh, um, that was written after World War I. And it details the story of a soldier during that that war from the German side. It's a German soldier, and it's very, you know, one of the iconic pieces of anti-war literature uh, and even more so when it was made into a movie in 1930 that itself became a classic film a timeless classic again about the the horrors of war and and the waste and futility and the tragedy of war um so here in this this version that same sentiment rings true throughout um except in this case you know well it's done with like all the modern flair of 2022 cinema available to, to available to any um big budget director. So it's intense, heavy, extremely violent combat footage or, or combat sequences, you know, played out in full. Um, and it's you know it's gripping and it's meant it's meant to shock you and it's meant to you know unsettle you and show you that all the the dirt and blood and mud that was not in the uh, first film. And and with this said, I should tell you um. Closure. I haven't read. I have not read the original novel, but Mike has, so he will have, he will have some, some insight on the changes or the uh, differences between all three of these uh, these editions. Um, but yeah, the the movie, this movie, the twenty twenty two movie, definitely hammers home the awful brutality of war that the the, the original movie, the nineteen thirty one, it didn't shy away from violence, but uh, it that wasn't its main focus. So having said that, though. Yes, this is a you know a high end you know world class production, and you know it's definitely worth seeing. But I think that for me, some of the impact of the main point of the story is lost in trying to shock you into submission. Um, it, it, I think that uh, it it's definitely it tilts its hands too further into one direction. Whereas, what makes the original the nineteen thirty film so great is that this so much humanity and joy even and and love um that's encapsulated into even even in this horrible situation but so then when it's actually time for the actual tragedy to the, the violence to occur it makes those losses that much more tragic and that much more unbearable because we see that these these are just regular people just like us and that's again this is the part of the point of the, the novel too is like these just regular people who are part of this horrible situation and we they have to suffer these sins and suffer these losses for who knows why, God knows why. And that will be it, it in using the, it's it's it has a warmth to it that that contrasts these tragedies. 
But then here in this one, it's basically all fucking bleak, tragic tra- trauma. Trauma, not the drama, but trauma. And I don't know that that's was maybe the best way to go. But having said that, nonetheless, it's still you know arousing. It's still a you know it it still makes the point as hard as it can, and it's definitely you know there's, there's definitely criticism and critique of the, the the system at large. That is you know that's not absent. You know it's still there, but uh, it just um. I think a little, little, little too heavy, heavy on, on that, and I'm not sure if it's. I don't, I don't, know, I don't want to blame modern audiences, quote unquote, who maybe wouldn't have the attention or the willingness to enjoy that, the warmness of even the film. Uh, you know, this definitely feels like more of a you know people who you know this generation has seen things like Black Hawk Down and Private Ryan, so they know what a war film, quote unquote, should look like. And I think for me, at least, too much into that direction, or instead of being its own thing. But at the end of the day, it's still a great film, nonetheless, on its own, and uh, it's still I recommend seeing it. Okay. Um, all right. Vice, uh, I fucking hated this thing. <laughs> um, I, I want to say it's a very competently and professionally made movie. Um. You know, in terms of scope and scale and acting, I mean, it's got Daniel Brühl in it. He's always great. You know, it, it's a very competently made movie, but um, it is such a large budget, competently made movie that so fundamentally missed the fucking point of the source material that it's based on that I like wanted if I didn't have COVID, I'd have been throwing shit through the wall in terms of how much I fucking hate <laughs> watching this. Um, so, you know, it's, I, I didn't even rate it on Letterboxd because I can't, because objectively, it's a good movie. It's well done. If it was called The Front Line, I probably would have quite liked it. But the fact that it's all quiet on the Western Front just, makes me apoplectic uh because the whole point of all quiet on the western front is it is about the dehumanizing effect of war not the horrors of war right all quiet on the western front the the book is not really all that graphic i mean it is it's as graphic as it could be for the time that it's written but what it's really about is the dehumanizing effect and and the, the the two biggest changes they made that just blow my fucking mind is one, this new version has a whole bunch of like political backstory where we're seeing a bunch of politicians and stuff negotiate about the war, which that would be fine in a different movie. But the whole thing with All Quiet on the Western Front is the guys on the front lines don't fucking know what the politicians are doing. They're 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 powerless. There's all these power players behind them and their whole job is to just go out and die. So by seeing us, you know, seeing these politicians, it actually doesn't help us. It, 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 it just becomes, you know, a review I read of it said it's perfect. It turns it into a, a tale of virtuous soldiers versus corrupt politicians or virtuous soldiers betrayed by corrupt politicians. And that's not what All Quiet on the Western Front is about. What All Quiet on the Western Front is about is, is that there is no virtue in war. Yeah. There's no such thing as a virtuous soldier. All there is is a pawn who is used 
and and the 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 1930s movie with Lou Ayers, uh, the, it it gets that because that's the second big change they make. So in both the original book and in the original movie, Paul, our main character, he goes home, and there's a whole big section where he goes back to his hometown and he meets with the teacher that rallied him and convinced him to join the army. And he meets with his family and they're all talking about how amazing it is that, you know, the war is going as well as it is and he should be proud. And, you know, he's basically saying, uh, the first bombing dissuaded us of everything that you're telling us, right? Like, like essentially no plan survives first contact with the enemy is what he's telling them. And, and he knows he's going to die. And and he's sitting here listening to all these people who are not putting any skin in the game. And he just feels disconnected. He's, he's actually relieved to go back to the front yeah, to get back with the people who get what he's going through. And then the, the, end of this motherfucking thing yeah paul has this like heroic last stand you oh my god i like the entire point of the whole fucking story is he dies meaninglessly on a day when there's not even any fighting that's the whole fucking point there's no last stand. There's no big battle. Like, oh, Vice, yeah. I, I yeah. hated this fucking thing. I really fucking hated this movie. Yeah, those changes were like, oh. there's the, a the famous scene. It's, it's when, well, and spoiler for a fucking hundred year old book. His uh, sergeant, uh, he calls him Cat Kaczynski. He's a critical, critical character in the, in the book. He's he's he is humanity personified. Even and he shows love and care for all the soldiers there. And he, he he's a father figure to them, and, and and he has his wisdom and knowledge. And even though they're doing these horrific things, like this, he still that reflects that one hope of there's a still humanity left in us if we can just somehow gather this. But of course, in the story, he dies tragically. But in you know in the book, in the movie, in the original movie, he's uh, hit by hit by shrapnel, and he has and Paul, the main character Paul, has to carry him. And of course, this is one of, this is one of the most iconic sequences in, in, in literature slash storytelling in human history. Paul carries him back to this to the uh base without realizing realizing that he's died on his arms. And and you know he yeah the way and he he's wounded by the shrapnel but then he gets wounded again and Paul doesn't realize this. In this movie he gets tries they, there's a whole thing where he has they're stealing food and he gets shot by this kid. And like to like kind of I I, I don't even know like it's almost like you know how in like the stupid ass movies in America like they have like the young the little brown boy with the gun no no don't shoot him but he's he's a kid you have to shoot him you know there's like this fake greatness they do that here they do this here in the fucking greatest war story of all time like why would you do that like what the whole point is that they somebody some unstoppable element from afar came and killed them stuffed them out like nothing there was there's no like avarice to it it's just like the use the pointlessness. Of the death, and here it's like they, it's uh, you know I gave it a high rating because it was a it was a well made film like you said, but the more we talk about it, it's just kind of a kind of a shame. Huh? It's like a it's insult almost to the movie to the original story in a way. I, um, I, I absolute fucking insult to the original story. I think like I actually I went on Letterbox and I looked at a lot of the reviews and I 
got even more angry reading them because I I think this is again it, it's so competently made. But yeah, that yeah, that's it. But, but it, it just it it so fundamentally misses the fucking point of what like the entire title of the story is all quiet on the western front it is a quiet movie it's quiet in contemplation it's quiet in thought it's quiet in philosophy even though there are battle scenes this is this is a movie about how we don't die in war in the loud parts we die in the quiet parts. We die when our souls die, not when the bullet hits us. Because everybody that dies in the original story is already fucking dead. They just don't know it yet. In fact, that's the last line of the goddamn book mm-hmm. is that Paul's body displays a smile as though as though almost glad the end had come. Like the entire point of this is everybody in war is dead and they don't know it. And this fucking movie is doing some Saving Private Ryan bullshit that I just, I'm going to take a deep breath because I still have COVID. I'm getting worked up. (laughs) And again, I'm not a soldier. So, you know, Vice, I love your take on this. Any other soldiers want to reach out to me on this, but I am a fan of All Quiet on the Western Front. I happen to think it's one of the greatest books of all time. I happen to think the original movie is one of the greatest movies of all time. And I happen to think this thing basically just pissed on its corpse. Yeah. Yeah, I, I definitely get that. No, I... Uh, I'll say this. I I think I understand that maybe the intent behind this was, again, like I said, to uh, update this for the modern generation to, to you know, to try to establish that point of war is bad you know this is the wrong way to go about it but it it they don't it, it's just using this all the flash and flare of what we think kids these days want from war films not what it's supposed to do so okay i'm gonna i'll end it here because i'll end this i'll stop about the movie here because actually honestly i think about it some more and i might even into the next year talk about it some more because yeah you said there's a lot going on i'll just say if you want Two things, two two pieces of media that are really honestly about maybe this war, this tragedy, um, and why you know why the war is the waste. Well, one, I think a better World War One war film is also a famous uh, based on a famous story. Uh, this is a Journey's End, came out in twenty seventeen, uh, starring uh, Sam Claflin and Asa Butterfield, and also Paul Bettany. Um, and this 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 movie is also based is itself based on a very famous uh, play, a British play. And that play itself has had several adaptations throughout the years. You mentioned that you know they should cover movies something else. This is what that Journey's End that movie is what this movie should have been called, or this is what that is the intent of that movie is. It does the you know there is gratuitous well there is violence there is brutality there is gore, but there's also poetry to it as well. The same kind of poetry that you see in the original 1930s film of All Quiet, and it's very much about the internal the the, the death of the soul. The, the death of the psyche it's very much all that is also in that movie along with the uh, blood and fire and, and, and blades and all that stuff that is an excellent world war one film that i think most people haven't seen that i think covers what this adaptation is trying to do much better so one i would recommend that and two if you want to show people these days why war is a fucking terrible idea in the language they understand and mean something to them 
to this day still, even now, I think currently the best piece of media about the global war on terror is Generation Kill, the HBO miniseries, based on a book, based on a, uh, it's a book that documented the reporters uh, embedded with the uh, Marines during their initial invasion of, of Iraq. And that is very much all the, our stupidity, our ignorance, our crudeness, our violence, our waste, our absurdity, and even our, the comedy of it all too. All that is in Generation Kill. It is, it is, I, I would, you know what, I'm gonna say it. It's the modern, the modern kind of telling of all quiet for our language, for our spirit, for our stupid ass American sensibilities. It's that, it's that piece of media, it's that show. They don't need this. They don't need to see this for, for to get that effect. They get, they have that there. <sighs> yeah. So yeah. yeah. The other thing I would say is, is if you want also to fill a little bit about the death of a soul during World War One. If you've never read the writings of Wilfred Owen and Siegfried Sassoon, um, I have to recommend them because they are they are two poets who are both soldiers and uh, they uh, they really they 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 just to me it they all came out at the same kind of the same time and there's there's a poetry to them. That this, yeah, this new version. I, you know, in Vice, I actually haven't seen Generation Kill. It's funny. I, I feel like I need to because I, I wanted to, and it's got a bunch of actors in it that I really like. And I just, it's one of those where I didn't want to sit down and really watch it because, uh, kind of a bummer. But then I spent fucking two and a half hours of my day watching this piece of shit, and I could have gotten through like two and a half episodes of Generation Kill if I had, if I had. But ask any veteran, Andy or all of them, uh, Chris, all of them, they'll tell you. Generation Kill is the definitive tome of the global war on terror. Like that's the story that people didn't know. This, this, you didn't need to deal with it. All right, Vice, we've got one last one on your list, uh, and then I know you've got some other ones that you kind of just wanted to bring up afterwards. But the the last one on the list is actually a documentary uh, called Retrograde that I was gonna try and watch, and I unfortunately didn't. Uh, so take it away. Right. So uh, the last movie on our list is a documentary. About the what? Well, what came to be the fall of Afghanistan? You could say. Um, this you know this during last year when the um, no, as I mentioned before, last year was the or this past year was uh the end of U.S. Uh, operations in Afghanistan after you know twenty years of of ongoing conflict. Um, so this movie is this documentary is about um well. So it, it's almost uh this documentary it was about it was about originally or or as you would see in the film um the chronicle of this uh one specific uh, Afghan commander uh in in the Afghan National Army and uh you know like uh, how he's kind of a was a historical figure in the making as it were um so the movie it begins with just kind of detailing his his uh his 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 struggle and his and, and all the obstacles he faces alongside with a contingent of uh US special forces there helping him train train his train his uh his his team or his crew. But then um midway well partway through of course that's when um the, the, they along with us learned that uh you know uh the president and decided to pull out pull out of the US and so kind of um it, it de derails the uh, derails uh, yeah I guess that's the problem derails from there 
So this this kind of this uh this this figure piece all of a sudden becomes like this uh, chronicling of the last days of Afghanistan and the scramble for of these few people to like save it basically. So uh, this was directed and, and kind of uh, captured by the director uh, Matthew Heidemann, who's you know a award winning uh, uh, documentarian. He's been famous for things like Cartel Land, uh, City of Ghosts about the uh, this uh, Syrian uh, resistance uh, against ISIL. Uh, so you know this guy's he, uh, he's been in, in the shit <laughs> to say the least uh in documenting some of the most like significant important um events uh you know of of the of this modern era so it's so difficult to describe this because uh i mean it's just, it's documentary so it's like you know you just, you just it's like yes yes it's a camera a guy with a camera following around some dudes yes but um and, and so here's one example of just the uh, enormity of it all. There's a scene where he's in a uh, little bird helicopter. Uh, this is a two seat helicopter uh, that should be done for like scouting and uh, like uh, like like last last call like or last minute gun runs or whatever. It's a very tiny metal aircraft. And there's footage of him of the two pilots, you know, doing a engaging the enemy. And I'm watching this and I'm like, wait a minute. How did he get this footage? How did he li literally fit inside this helicopter? There's only space for two people. That's how small it is. Uh, he, he's just like, and he's just, as I found out, literally like laying on the floor with the iPhone over the shoulder of the of the coop. And as they're doing this crazy stuff, there's another scene similar to that where he's in a, a larger helicopter, the Black Hawk, uh, and they're about to do an important uh, supply run. They come immediately under overwhelming fire. And you, he's there with them with the crew. And you, you hear the, uh, the 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 missile warning flares and the flares go off, and and you see you see the uh, the dip in the elevation of the helicopter. You know, it's a very terrifying experience. But you know there he is right there with it. Um. So it's well, it's, it's almost kind of difficult to talk about this because like you, you don't know where where it ends and begins. Well, I say part of what's uh, what was important for me to see this is that um. You know, I, I was I was in Afghanistan. You know, during the uh, it, the election, they did um, they did it twice actually. So you know, I just have I have my small piece of history there of like uh, trying trying to do our, our my part, our part, and uh, trying to uh, get this nation to what the U.S. considers a uh, strong uh, a strong foothold against terrorism and and. A uh, example of a modern democracy, um, you know, and it, this kind of, it's, it was all bullshit, or you know, it, that's what it came up to, what it came down to. And but I think that what's important here with, with, with this film is that um, it shows that no, it wasn't bullshit, but because there were actual lives and people with hopes and dreams behind this, as ludicrous as. This this experiment was, I might say, there are people who were hoping and praying for this to actually work. The people of Afghanistan, um, and it's a very um, that just seeing that kind of reminded me that like for all the for for all the hurt or for all the disappointment, you know that is that we felt that you know wasting all of all of our time and money and lives. There's still, you know, it's this wasn't just some 
abject or abstract thing. There's, there's still millions of people in Afghanistan who are now like, we, we, we barely even know. We don't know what their fate will be. And so that's part of why I think this is important to just to see this ultimately affects in this film and you know the, what's what's to become it's still uh yeah it's like i said it's very it's a very um this it's a, it's a simple it's a simple uh construct this guy follow the guy following on this uh, afghan army in the last days but this what it really what it means and what it represents is this is really difficult to come to terms with like this is like history in the making so like i guess part of why this is so difficult because like it's history making so like even now you know history hasn't yet told us what's what's to become of this situation what will what will be learned what will be gained or or what will become of this so it's at the very least having this this chronicle um you know with, with very deep intimate you know insight you know like you he the hyman director was one of the, the last americans in the country you know you see you see the mad scramble at the airport as civilians are desperate to escape from Afghanistan, and and you, you know you see all this, and um, if nothing else, it's important that we have this uh, this document, and um, yeah, like I said, Tom will tell what if anything will be gleaned from this fucking horrible tragedy, but uh, you know, it, 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 just as as a film though, it's a great, is a you know fantastic and a uh, vital um, uh, capture of that. Yeah, it sounds intense. Uh, that's actually part of the reason that I didn't watch it, la or I didn't watch it because I, I just I was like I'm not in the headspace for it. But um, it sounds like something that you really maybe out of all the movies we talked about today is one that you really recommend people check out. Yeah, I again, you know, I, I, it's difficult to talk about just because, uh, like I said, there's, there's so much emotions and you know, it's still so much certainty. I will say though, um, I was able to see this uh, at a screening. With the director at a Q and A, um, a few weeks before its release on streaming, and so you know, that, that, so he told me about how he was like literally there, crouched down in a helicopter, just like taking video video footage with the iPhone, uh, and you know, and it's um, and you see him like, ah, uh, it's actually interesting. It's um, when we had these documentaries, uh, or documentary filmmaking, there's there's a, uh, there's there's contention or division about how it should be done. Should you be a fly on the wall, or what are the ethical ramifications of doing nothing or, or capturing these uh terrible you know terrible deeds or or or, or people death and destruction? And there's also like you know at what what point it's the documentary is still a film, it's still a construction of images, um, sequenced by a certain by an artist's prerogative. Like a documentary is never the truth because it's somebody. By this very nature of film, you have to construct it. So, so I, we was talking with him, you know, and and it's uh, like I said, uh, he his original intent was just to have a just a just a open open ended chronicle of the special forces guys uh, with the Afghan national commander, like that was the original kind of the premise of, of his documentary. Like it was just like like a more of a day in life kind of thing, and he had spent years um, getting the. Uh, basically gaining the trust of the special force community because in the film you see the actual green berets there but they, they never get their own names of course but like they he's gotten pretty from you know from other films that i've seen 
pretty significant access to like their operations and their how they do things at least in the in the in how they did in afghanistan um and he said he mentioned you know, he spent years like both here and abroad being at trust so as far as a uh, document of like how you know it's this is just as re just as real and relevant as something like Restrepo, where like, you get an actual up close unfiltered view of how um u.s operations works but just as much it's just the same you see that you, in his intimacy with the u.s forces he gets to be able to chronicle the intimacy they have with the afghan um army and that, that commander there you know this and then so like like so then when the word comes that we're we are uh leaving afghan you see it's this this these moments of um heartbreak and disappointment between the two sides the two forces who become such close allies you know through fire and blood and everything and it's just like uh they they're the heartbreak between these two small groups uh kind of i guess represents the the greater loss that most of, a lot of us feel like we, we were trying to help and we, we couldn't help you know it's a very um you know very 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 emotional very uh, uh tumultuous thing to see and but yeah it's it's you see that but then like then they have to still keep fighting it's and so it's it's it's, it's crazy like so i bring up the ethical thing is like uh he could have just left the direct anyway, could have just like left with the u.s forces but he went back to capture the rest of the commander's fight and you know it's like is he i would i wanted to ask him are you insane or are you like a vainglorious? Is it's like, like an ego trip? Like, I, I feel obviously it's not, but it's like, uh, there is definitely something like that compels him to an almost unsafe degree. That, uh, but you know, again, with something about that insanity or that it, something about that insanity brings clarity because, like, again, I think that we we needed to see exactly what these people were going through. To uh, to fully put to put a face to the to the hurt, I guess is what it should say, because there's a motif of faces throughout the, throughout the film, and you know lots of close ups of just you see, you see people pondering the reality, the purity of what what you know of this disappointment. And the movie even ends with a you know really powerful like you see an Afghan woman just waiting, longing, frustrated, hoping to you know, and she's in line and, and um at the airport. To, to to escape and we we never know we probably will never never will know her fate um yeah so it's it's yeah I, like i said this is a very difficult thing to talk about like because uh there's so much happening but that still has yet to be discerned but uh yeah it for sure as you said it's definitely a difficult watch um uh there's not so much uh there he does capture moments of uh, of battle but there's nothing overtly well, well, nothing overtly the uh, uh, graphic per se. But yeah, definitely at least for that in that part, the emotional, the emotional pull of it all, but also the the part the actual. This is still a war document, so there there is still that to contend with. So just uh, yeah, I it, I do recommend seeing this, but uh, this know that you know there's a lot. It's overwhelming. But I think that's we need to have those that sometimes. So we, we gotta like, uh, you know, I have to force that upon ourselves to just to, to, to gather the enormity of the situation. 
All right. Um, <clears throat> thank you for that one, Vice. Uh, so you had that's the last of the big in-depth ones, but you also had some like I, well, I don't know if we'd call them honorable mentions or just some some other movies you wanted to quickly bring up. Right. Yeah. So um, similar to how in last last week's episode, uh, Alex had in, in Alex's uh headshot video uh, of all the action films of the year, he had a little section where he mentioned that there's dozens of films that he hasn't seen yet. So, and so just um as we're closing out this this episode, uh, uh as you're listening and when, when you when you when you respond, I definitely want you to um respond later on with um. Other f- what films you believe uh, you the listener might believe are uh, war films of twenty two worth worth of worth note. Uh, just a quick one. That I don't know. Um, there's a uh, speaking uh, as we mentioned Chinese action blockbusters. There's one called Snipers that came out this year as well that I was not able to see. Um, and yeah, you know, like, like I mentioned before, you know, think, like there may be uh, other more. Uh, there may be war elements in other big pictures that. This year that I didn't count, like I went to Panther for what well, kind of forever, for example, within the uh, our blockbuster segment. But you know, just uh, just it's just interesting time and the fact that we already talked about it, I left it out. So things like that. Um, there's there's probably still even more. Like say uh, again, I, I've had limited um purview to Indian cinema this year, for example. So there might be some there that uh, some people would recommend. So yeah, so if if you have other um war films that you you've seen or you think would qualify um, for this year, please let me know um, later on at, at once, once this releases. And I'd, I'd love to hear it. And uh, may, I might even add it to my letterbox list as well. But yeah, definitely. Uh, this is a, it's a group effort, <laughs> even though it's uh, even though I've been doing this for a couple of years now, I, I definitely part of it. Also what I want to do is like, you know, expand this to um, have more input from the viewers, the reader, the, the readers, viewers, listeners, all, all that, the whole community um, to, to take part of this. Because part of what I'm I'm learning is that um, you know, there's many other veterans out there that who are also kind of in this similar uh, similar sphere, the action Twitter sphere, and so forth. That even now I'm getting getting more followers, newer newer additions to it. So I would love I I love cultivating this this, this community about that, and then um, yeah, and 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 helping to um, expand or uh, and uh, strengthen this whole ongoing series so yeah definitely please let me know what you guys if uh any other additions i would love that all right yeah i'm trying to think if there's any that i've seen that aren't on your list that would count and uh not not really not that not that are coming i'm looking at my action movies list and i'm not really seeing any that that would meet up with that but uh you know if i think of any i'll for sure let you know um i guess yeah. Yeah, I, I I was wondering if maybe Vikram could kind of fit, but I don't I don't really think it does. Yeah, because this, this no, just kind of get into the uh the 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 weeds of the the list itself. Uh, just I, part of my expansion is to hope to um do I could do I include spy stuff or covert ops or whatever like you know in the contractor I did, but in Vikram I didn't. So yeah, it, it's always it's not really like a set in stone kind of thing. This kind of depends on um uh, well <clears throat> if I can relate. Certain movies to themselves, that's usually what makes me add them to the list better, uh, or, or or more inclined to add them to the list. But yeah, like I said, um, whatever. If if you guys decide, you know, hey, Vikram should be on the Warfare list too. Let, let me know. I'll probably, I'll probably edit that too. <laughs> um, well, yeah. So I, you know, 
like I said, like, like I said in the beginning, I was kind of worried about doing this episode because I didn't want to like gouge out old wounds, especially like you know we just talked about retrograde. As, as I was watching it, you know, I kind of had a, having this uh, existential experience. But talking about it now, though, I, I do feel better just with here with Mike and you guys listening. So yeah, I, I I'm really glad that we did this uh, again this year, and um, I do feel better. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, it's. I'm always worried that you know something will trigger something, and I'll like have a fucking uh, meltdown. Because uh, it reminds me, guys, a few years ago there was the um, the remake of J- the remake of Jacob Vatter, uh, <laughs> which was a terrible movie. <laughs> but um, you know, it was almost not worth mentioning um in, in, in that year. But there was a scene that happened that. I don't know. I, I got. I got fucking. It. I had like a breakdown. Like I started crying and I couldn't stop crying. I was in the shower. Like oh, freaked out. It was fucking it's a dumbass remake. Like I, the, the point being, I never know what's going to trigger something like that. So that's why I'm always kind of weary whenever I do this list because you know it's it's meant to you know open the floodgates. But I I, I never you never really ready for that even when you say you are mentally. Uh, <laughs> but but that said, doing this though, just you know, and and again after being in away from the service for so many years uh you know it's uh, you know i I don't know if it's the act of doing it that's maybe making it better or maybe just the fact that um i have people here to do it with like the fact that i'm here with mike like my new friend you know like like that like that alone it makes this so much easier to like be able to have somebody to share this stuff with like you know and interact with and also you all you guys listening you know when you when you see this when you with people reading my list, like, because I, I, because then you respond with it, your experiences too, like other veterans to them, you know, like th- it's that makes it much a little easier to do. So, yeah, I definitely hope to keep this going for you know however long we can. Um, and again, like I said, I have the supplements, I have the letterbox reviews, my Twitter threads, and I, I may actually do um may return to the written written essay form at some point. Um, you know, I'm still, you know, shout out to Luton Bus. I'm still, you know, that's still my home of record for uh for writing. So if I ever do um have a piece to go up, that's gonna be the first place you'll see it there. So I may come to that back at some point. Um oh, so for for example, I did a um other series like uh the uh my Fleet Week series, well the the week of the poor Memorial Day. So that are focused that's focused on uh movies about naval combat in its various forms, be it space combat or so forth. So I might do that still, um, but yeah, I, I'm glad that we now you know have this whole uh, platform, <laughs> I guess, to 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 do this, and I'm happy to, to be here doing it with you guys. So thank you all for this. No, thank you, man. This is you know when we did this last year, it was an absolute joy. It's an absolute joy again this year. I will keep doing this every year as long as uh, until the heat death of the universe. <laughs> <laughs> Because I always, I always learn something, and you always, <clears throat> you always get me to to watch some movies that I probably wouldn't have gotten around to watching. So, um, you know, I love it. Um, but I think that's going to wrap us up for this year. So, Vice, uh, you've mentioned a couple places people can find you, but but do your usual spiel. Where can people find you? Oh yes, yes. So I am on Letterbox, being smart as always. Like, 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 all the all the reviews that I've talked about, all the movies I've talked about, they're on there at Vice Pictures Letterbox. I'm on Instagram, uh, being beautiful. <laughs> you know. Uh, Having a good time, enjoying the life that I've, you know, that I, <laughs> I'm enjoying the, 
the life that maybe I don't deserve, but I'm thankful that I got now, you know, having fun, going out, having a good time. So I'm on there on Instagram at Life. I just, you know, enjoy it, seeing my pictures of that. And of course, as always, <laughs> well, yep, I'm on Twitter talking all this shit, as fact, which is, but also, you know, I'm trying when I can to, <laughs> I don't know, be a better person for whatever it's worth. Uh, <laughs> or, or at the very least, you know, help uh, grow this community um, with uh, some laughs and some uh, jubilation there on Twitter. But I'll still, still talking shit too. <laughs> yeah, always, always talking shit. We we wouldn't we wouldn't expect anything less. Um, you can find us basically just by going to a four link tree slash a four e podcast. You can find me for now on Twitter at Hibachi Justice and on Letterboxd at Hibachi Justice. Uh, and uh, you know we will be back next week with a normal episode. Liam will return, and uh, we'll talk to you guys then. Love y'all. Love you guys. Thank you. National underground thunder pounds when I stop the ground Like a million elephants and silverback orangutans You can't stop a train Who wants up? Don't come unprepared I'll be there, but when I leave there Better be a household name Brother man telling us it ain't gonna rain So now we sit in a drop top soaking wet In a silk suit trying not to sweat Hit summer sauce without the net But this will be the year that we won't forget One nine 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 Okay.